Well, hello, and welcome to Pick 6 Movies. You have joined us at just the right time. It's the start of a new season. Honestly, every episode stands on its own two snarky feet, but they are all of a type. And this season, we are doing six movies based around the idea that just because someone can sing doesn't mean they can act so good. That's right, our new season is called A Flop is Born, a set of films all tied together by questionable business dealings likely fueled by cocaine. And our first episode is a toe-tapper by the name of Stay Away Joe. Let's see here, let me slip on my reading spectacles to summarize the movie real fast. Elvis Presley, hey that's something, Elvis Presley, plays a Native American named Joe Lightcloud and... Oh no. You know what? Let's save all of this for the show. First, my oldest and best pal Chad Cooper is going to open the show with an explanation for, well, all of this really. I'm Bo Ranstell. Thank you for being here, everybody. It's Stay Away Joe on Pick 6 Movies. Take it away, Chad. Do you smell that? Ah, it's that new season smell. And I can't think of a better way to kick off a new season than with a pop quiz. So put on your thinking caps and let's get ready. I'm going to read you a list of names and you have to tell me what they all have in common. Are you ready? Here we go. Late night TV host, Jimmy Fallon. Star of TV's Becker, Ted Danson. Virginia Governor Ralph Northam. That other late night TV host named Jimmy, Jimmy Kimmel. Kardashian adjacent Kylie Jenner. Iron Man himself, Robert Downey Jr., SNL alumni Fred Armisen, Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, The View's Joy Behar, Alabama Governor Kay Ivey? Well, if you said that they were all recovering cocaine addicts, you would be partially right, but not completely correct. Let me add one more name to that list. Star of the 1927 feature film, the jazz singer Al Jolson. Well, that's it, of course. They're all people who have a history of appearing in blackface. Now, a survey of everyone working at Pick 6 Movies shows that 100% of our staff agrees that blackface is a bad idea 100% of the time. But entertainers in blackface, more specifically Al Jolson in blackface, has a very important place in the history of famous musicians making their way from the musical airwaves to the silver screen. Al Jolson famously starred in The Jazz Singer, a film released on October 6, 1927, and was the first movie that included both spoken dialogue and music on the actual film itself by using Vitaphone technology. Now, prior to the release of The Jazz Singer, silent movies were accompanied by live musicians or musical scores that were at times provided on a record player. The Jazz Singer wasn't the first movie that had accompanying sound. That honor goes to Don Juan, which included a musical score and sound effects, but that film did not include any spoken dialogue. But it was the jazz singer that was the first to have a few speaking scenes and a whole lot of singing, but the film itself still had a whole lot of black and white title cards that were a holdover from the silent movie era. Now, the plot of the movie, The Jazz Singer, is about Jack Rabinowitz, the son of a Jewish cantor, and Jack wants to be a jazz singer. His father has other ideas for Jack's musical talents and wants him to be a Jewish cantor just like his old man. Jack disobeys his father's wishes and follows his own dreams, and then the dad gets sick, and Jack has to decide if he's 
he's going to come home to see his dying father and sing at the synagogue, or if he's going to stay and be a big star on Broadway, which would break his mother's heart. Jack decides to return home, but he ends up getting a second chance to be a star on Broadway after all, and it's a real heartwarming tale. Oh, I almost forgot. Al Jolson sings a lot of the songs in blackface with only his accentuated white lips showing to create an oversized mouth, and the movie ends with this little number. Mommy. Ah, you know what? We can stop it there. Just right. Stop. Um, look. I doubt we're ever going to review a film here at Pick 6 Movies that requires us to do a deep dive into the life of Al Jolson. Maybe if we do see Thomas Howell in Soul Man, or maybe the Wayans Brothers film White Chicks. But let's be honest. Look, we love bad movies, but there are certain lines that we are not going to cross. And seeing as this may be the only time we have to talk about Al Jolson, let's do that for an uncomfortable few minutes, shall we? Al Jolson has a special place in cinematic history as the white face of blackface. Now, is blackface terrible? Of course it is. But performing in blackface was giving way to new forms of vaudeville entertainment when Al Jolson appeared in the jazz singer. Performing in blackface was the core of Al Jolson's performing persona. And at the time, he was the biggest thing in music when the film The Jazz Singer was released. Jolson was born on May 26, 1886 in what's now known as Lithuania, and his family immigrated when he was seven years old and made their way to Washington, D.C. Jolson found his way to the stage first in vaudeville at age 13, and he later joined a minstrel troupe at the age of 23. Now, blackface was a big part of Al Jolson's career, but as I mentioned earlier, much of Jolson's success came at a time when blackface was on its way out of fashion. The practice of minstrelsy was being ushered out the door as the variety of acts involved evolved into new forms of entertainment. Blackface performers were well over a hundred years old in the United States, emerging as a way to embody the natives of the new land by European settlers. When the jazz singer debuted, minstrel shows were more a reflection of American nostalgia. It represented a warm, comforting signifier of the good old days of America's stage history before vaudeville and the movies ruined everything. Blackface wasn't about ethnicity anymore. It was about the past, you know, back when America was great again. Jolson gained popularity in New York as a singer and an entertainer, and he was featured in multiple Broadway musicals. And during this time, he teamed with then unsuccessful songs songwriter George Gershwin. Maybe you heard of him? And Jolson turned Gershwin's song Swanee into a nationwide hit, and it became Jolson's trademark song. His Broadway appearances also gave rise to other Jolson iconic songs, such as the previously played hit My Mammy, as well as Toot Toot Tootsie, April Showers, and California Here I Come. Al Jolson was extremely popular as a stage celebrity akin to a modern-day rock star and was the first artist to sell 10 million records. And it was only a matter of time before Jolson made his way from the Broadway stage to Hollywood to star in motion pictures. Jolson's film career included the aforementioned The Jazz Singer, which revolutionized the film industry, and it really put the death nail in silent movies as audiences were not only able to see their favorite racist stereotypes on the big screen. I'm looking at you, birth of a nation, but now they could hear their favorite racist stereotypes too. The popularity of The Jazz Singer led to a string of Al Jolson films, including The Singing Fool, Say It With Songs, <laughs> Mammy, 
Suwannee River, among others. Now, reportedly, Jolson was notoriously insecure, and at the time, he was a real nightmare to work with. He demanded writing credits on songs that he didn't write because when he would perform a song, they immediately became a hit. During live performances, he reportedly would bump other singers and perform for extended sets. Later in his career, he was just a real pain in the ass. He would allegedly go and watch other performers in clubs steal their bits and then threaten to sue them if they did the bit that he had worked into his act. You know the kind of guy I'm talking about. Now, despite being notoriously difficult to work with, Jolson did his part to help out the good old U.S. of A after World War II started. Now, when Pearl Harbor was bombed, Al Jolson shifted his focus to supporting the troops, and he set up some free USO tours to perform for soldiers, especially for those that like songs like Mammy and Sunny Boy. You know the type. And so it was that Al Jolson found himself as the first man to perform for U.S. troops overseas during WW2 doing as many as four shows a day, with some of these shows taking place in foxholes or on the side of the road. As long as there were at least two soldiers, Al Jolson was singing and dancing, oftentimes in blackface. Now, Jolson died unexpectedly of a heart attack at the age of 64, and it should be noted that he contracted malaria while entertaining the troops, and he had to have a lung removed, and more often than not, he continued to perform in blackface. Yes, Al Jolson's name is synonymous with blackface performances, but his life was more than just that. At his core, Al Jolson was first and foremost an entertainer. He was the most popular singer in the United States at one time. He was praised for his vocal talents that, yes, in their own way, imitated black performers of the day, but his singing talents introduced audiences to new forms of music and created hit songs still widely known today. Al Jolson did his patriotic duty to support the nation during a time of war. Jolson took his singing talents and generated a string of very popular movies for the silver screen. His celebrity was as big as it gets, with a life cut short due to an unexpected death. Al Jolson's life and legacy mirrors that of another wildly popular singer who made his way into the movies as well, except without all the blackface. Now, the simple fact that you're listening to Pick 6 Movies identifies you as a sophisticated, intelligent, and above-average-looking person, if I do say so myself. On top of all that, you strike me as someone with an inquiring mind, and to that end, you've probably wondered which musicians had the most success and fame during their careers. See, I know you. Now, of course, there are certain musicians or musical groups that leap to mind when you think of musical sensations that set a high bar for fame and success. The Beatles, Michael Jackson, Madonna, Prince, Bruce Springsteen, Beyonce, K-pop sensation BTS. It's a difficult question to answer when you're wanting to know who was the biggest and most influential. And like most difficult questions, we should turn to one place for the answer. Professional nerds. Two computer scientists, Stephen Skiena and Charles B. Ward, published a book back in 2013 where they ranked the most significant people throughout all of history. They used a complicated quantitative analysis that dum-dums like me don't understand to analyze the historical reputations of entertainers, politicians, scientists, philosophers, authors, and the like by aggregating millions of opinions that they found on the internet. Uh-oh. This algorithm not only took into account all available data on each of their notable names, but also predicted how important these people would be 200 years after their death. And you want to guess who was at the top of that list? If you thought, oh Christ, this is a tough one, you're right! 
JC, good old Jesus Christ himself, was number one on that list of most significant people throughout all of history. Now, interestingly enough, William Shakespeare, who came in at number four, was the only member of the arts community in the top ten of the list. Well, that's if you exclude number seven ranked Adolf Hitler's early paintings, which I now, looking at the top 100 most influential people in the history of the world, there is only one other artist on that list. And that artist was a musician, sandwiched between Socrates at number 68 and William the Conqueror at number 70. We find the one and only Elvis Presley at number 69. <laughs> Because Skinner and Ward's list only ranked individuals and not groups, there was no entry for musical groups like the Beatles or other artistic performances like the collective works of Jackass or maybe Blue Man Group. So these two data scientists, with apparently a whole lot of time on their hands, compiled a statistical data analysis for special categories of success and influence that included inductees into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. While they crunched the numbers, one group gave Elvis a real run for his money, the Beatles. Elvis Presley had an overall significance rating of 7.1, and the Beatles came in a close second with 6.7. However, it should be noted that the Beatles had a higher fame score of 4.4, with Elvis coming in at 3.6. But Elvis trounced the Fab Four with a gravitas rating of 3.5 over the John, Paul, George, and Ringo ranking of 2.3. Look, he's not called the king of rock and roll for nothing. Now, for some younger listeners, it's difficult to state just how massively popular and culturally influential performers like Elvis Presley and the Beatles and Michael Jackson were at the peak of their fame. And when I think about the impact these performers had on the world around them, I reflect on the wise words spoken by Patrick Stewart as the narrator of the Seth MacFarlane film, Ted. Well, let me put it this way. No matter how big a splash you make in this world, whether you're Corey Feldman, Frankie Muniz, Justin Bieber, or a talking teddy bear, eventually nobody gives a shit. I'm not saying that Elvis Presley is forgotten or that he'll ever completely be forgotten. But for those who don't know him or only slightly know of him, it is important to understand just how big his star power was at its peak and why this star power continues to shine decades after his death. Elvis was not just popular, he was innovative, influential, and above all of that, an incredible performer. Elvis didn't invent rock and roll, and by most accounts, he didn't really do anything that was all that original. Much like Al Jolson, Elvis drew influence from performers like Ike Turner, Ray Charles, Big Mama Thornton, Fats Domino, all of which who had success with rock and roll songs at the time. And in case you missed it, all of those performers were black musicians. Rock and roll was initially known as black music and had a limited audience reach. But by the early 1950s, the popularity of rock and roll began to grow. One early reference to the phrase rock and roll was from Bill Ward and the Domino's song, 60 Minute Man, that included the following lyrics. Look at here, girls, I'm telling you now. They call me loving Dan. I rock them, roll them all night long. I'm a 60 minute man. There'll be 15 minutes of kissing. Then you'll holler, please don't stop. There'll be 15 minutes of teasing and 15 minutes of squeezing, and 15 minutes of blowing my top. Now the, <laughs> damn, Bill Ward was a doo-wop R. Kelly. 
This recording was successfully popular as a crossover song that reached the number one spot on the R&B charts and it climbed to the number 17 spot on the pop charts. Now the use of the phrase rock and roll was a euphemism for the music itself as well as dancing and also sex or a combination of all three when done properly. A popular radio show of the early 1950s was Moondog's Rock and Roll Party, and it featured songs by black artists. And this show reached out to a much larger and racially mixed audience. By the time that Elvis Presley and his early producing partner Sam Phillips came along, the idea of recording the music of black artists that was already growing in popularity was a real no-brainer. Elvis Presley didn't invent rock and roll, he just launched a career that embraced rock and roll's rising popularity across black and white audiences. Some critics of Elvis Presley claimed that he was a white face on black music and profited from white America's preference of hearing a white musician sing instead of a black musician sing the same song. And that's not wholly accurate. Well, look, I'm sure there are a whole bunch of racists back in the day that wanted to hear a white guy sing over a black guy sing. They're just racist. Of course, they're going to feel that way. But Elvis wasn't the first artist to record music that was traditionally classified as black music. At the time, there were numerous white musicians singing rock and roll. One example was Bill Haley, whose single Rock Around the Clock was recorded before Elvis Presley wrapped up his famous early Sun Studio sessions. And music historians show that all musicians, regardless of their race or background, are influenced by all different forms of music. Rock and roll as a genre of music was influenced by country and blues, R&B, western swing, boogie-woogie music. Sure, marketing this music was definitely targeted to very segregated audiences, but the music itself and the creative influences behind it most certainly were not. If Elvis Presley didn't invent rock and roll, and Elvis Presley wasn't the first white guy to perform rock and roll, and Elvis Presley didn't single-handedly make rock and roll popular with white kids across America, then what exactly did Elvis Presley do to achieve the title King of Rock and Roll? Well, as Noah Blartsky points out in his 2014 article over in The Atlantic, Elvis was the king of rock and roll because he was the king of rock and roll. It's tautological in nature because that's kind of how things like this work. Elvis was white, he was handsome, he was in the right place at the right time, and he generated unprecedented popularity. But why Elvis Presley? There's no real way to explain it other than, well, Elvis was Elvis. Honestly, it could have been Buddy Holly or Bill Haley or some other white guy who captured America's imagination when it came to the popularity of rock and roll. Think about today's musicians. Why is Ariana Grande so popular? Justin Bieber, Bad Bunny, The Lumineers. Why do these performers rise to the top of their musical genres over other arguably equally talented musicians and singers? They're popular because they're popular. In the case of Elvis Presley, it was a combination of a few things that elevated him to superstardom. Sure, he was a white guy singing black music, but he also capitalized on a scandalous sexuality that made teenage girls scream with delight while their mothers and fathers stood by watching shocked and appalled as he swiveled his hips and sneered with disdain. Elvis was as black as possible to reflect the musical trends of the time, but he was as white as possible to make him acceptable to the largest audience he could find. Elvis was iconic, and he helped to create a career path to allow other successful pop stars transition into movie stars, a path that was originally tread by Al Jolson. 
Mick Jagger, Madonna, Eminem, Will Smith, Queen Latifah, Jennifer Lopez, Miley Cyrus. These are just a few people that have made this transition from singer to silver screen, but none of them have been able to accomplish anything close to what Elvis Presley did. At the start of his career, on January 27, 1956, Elvis Presley released his first single, Heartbreak Hotel. This provided Elvis's national breakthrough as a singer. His reputation as a performer on stage was already growing, and a couple of months after the release of this single, on March 23, 1956, Elvis released his first album, the self-titled Elvis Presley. Now, just six months later, on September 9, 1956, Elvis Presley appeared on the Ed Sullivan Show and was seen by approximately 60 million viewers, which accounted for almost 83% of the television audience. That is hard to imagine by today's standards. Elvis's live shows grew in popularity and became famous for the explosive emotional response from the mostly female audience members. Elvis would start out with the opening line of Hound Dog and the female audience came unglued. You ain't nothing but riots at his live shows. One concert at the Mississippi-Alabama Fair and Dairy Show required the addition of National Guard troops to an already heavy police presence to ensure that nobody got hurt. Seven months after the release of that first single in March, the following October in 1956, Elvis Presley released his second album, which went straight to number one. And then, one short month after that, Elvis Presley appeared in the film Love Me Tender, starring Richard Egan, Deborah Padgett and the movie-going audiences were introduced to Elvis Presley on the big screen. This was the one and only time that Elvis did not receive top billing for his movie. When Elvis Presley shifted from singer to actor, it was in pursuit of being the next James Dean or Marlon Brando. And in some of Elvis's early work, you can see that his performances were quite earnest and Elvis was really trying to deliver legitimately good movies. Early films like Love Me Tender, Jailhouse Rock, King Creole, and, and Flaming Star are arguably pretty good movies. And you can see Elvis working to deliver a quality performance. Elvis worked hard, he memorized his lines, and genuinely enjoyed making the films. Now it's often asked, why Elvis made movies in the first place. He was already a successful singer whose popularity was on the rise. He was larger than life. Did he really need the additional fame of being a movie star? Well, part of Elvis's decision to pursue movie stardom, some say, may be attributed to the fact that Elvis Presley grew up poor, really poor. And making money, a lot of money, was always a factor to be considered in his career decisions. So when the success of the hokey and hastily thrown together film Blue Hawaii landed in theaters in 1961, Elvis decided he didn't need to work that hard to please audiences and to get the same payday. Just crank out campy formulaic movies for an easy paycheck. Elvis didn't have to work that hard. He got paid handsomely and honestly didn't really care. Elvis got paid the same whether he worked hard and produced a quality product as he did when he just phoned it in. And after the release of Blue Hawaii, Elvis just cranked out cheap movies that were made fast, and they had extravagantly ridiculous plots. Elvis as an actor trapped in a harem. Elvis as a tuna boat captain. Elvis as a race car driver. Elvis as a doctor working with nuns and orphans. Elvis as a singing trapeze artist who has vertigo. And more often than not, the only way for Elvis to get out of trouble in these movies was to sing his way out, mostly because each movie was released alongside a soundtrack recording of Elvis singing songs 
from the feature film. In Elvis's early movies like King Creole and Jailhouse Rock, Elvis looked like a badass that made young ladies' hearts skip a beat and it scared the hell out of their moms and dads alike. But then Elvis got drafted in the army and he went away for a couple years. And when he returned, he made the film G.I. Blues, a patriotic film about a serviceman who can sing. And in many ways, it's the movie that set the standard for the formulaic films that fill the latter work of Elvis Presley throughout the 1960s. Elvis's next two films, Flaming Star and Wild in the Country, were more serious film roles with limited songs and a more straightforward movie plot. But then the aforementioned Blue Hawaii was released where Elvis was, yet again, a serviceman who returns from his time in the service to Hawaii where his family runs a pineapple farm. And with that movie, Elvis sealed his cinematic fate, having evolved from a rebel who might have a switchblade on him to someone that you might invite over for Sunday dinner after church. Elvis appeared in films like Harem Scarum, Tickle Me, and Kissing Cousins, where he played two roles, a la Haley Mills and Haley Mills in The Parent Trap. The polished persona of Elvis Presley didn't mean that the movies he was in were 100% wholesome family affairs. There was a lot of scantily clad women in short skirts and halter tops and lots of kissing. But as Elvis's film career and music career continued, he was no longer seen as the threat to America's youth with gyrating hips and a snarled lip that once terrified parents nationwide. Elvis found himself face to face with the counterculture of the 1960s. The Rolling Stones and Jimi Hendrix and Led Zeppelin and The Who and Bob Dylan, lots of psychedelic drugs and all sorts of free love that were the thing of parental nightmares and youthful rebellion. And the films of music of Elvis Presley were amusingly quaint by comparison. The subject of this particular episode of Pick 6 Movies is the Elvis Presley film Stay Away Joe, which features Elvis as a Native American rodeo rider who returns home to his reservation and a bunch of hijinks ensue. Now, Elvis got paid $850,000 for his performance and 40% of the profits. Holy shit. Wow. He was in it for the money. Now, in the film, Burgess Meredith plays Elvis's Native American dad. Yeah, that's the same Burgess Meredith who was Rocky Balboa's trainer in the first three Rocky movies, and I know what you're thinking. Isn't Burgess Meredith a white guy? And in this movie, he's playing a Native American? Yes, and yes. We'll address all of that when Bo shows up. Now, there are a bunch of other character actors in the film filling out the rest of the cast, most of which you don't recognize, or maybe you do. The screenplay of the movie was adapted from a failed Broadway musical called Whoop Up! So, this movie wasn't really completely all that original. This film would only be followed by five more movies over two years before Elvis eventually called it quits on making movies altogether. The director of the film was Peter Torksberry, who directed Presley in a previous film, The Trouble with Girls. Torksberry only made a handful of movies and spent most of his career directing over 130 episodes of the TV sitcom Father Knows Best. Now, is Stay Away Joe any good? Well, film critic Kevin Thompson of the Los Angeles Times wrote in a 1968 film review that it, quote, could it scarcely seem more embarrassingly tasteless or ill-timed than right now. In an unintentionally patronizing way, it projects an image of the Indian as happy-go-lucky, immoral, and irresponsible just when the public is becoming aware of how truly tragic his plight is. No amount of good-naturedness and stay-away Joe undeniably has plenty of that can compensate for humor based on stereotypes so offensive to minority group sensitivities. A review in Variety said Stay Away Joe was filled with many forced slapstick situations and cited how the movie is out of touch with latter-day appreciation of some basic dignity in all human beings. At best, the film is a dim artistic accomplishment. At worst, it caters to outdated prejudice. Custer himself might be embarrassed for the Indians. <laughs> oh boy, this is going to be a good episode. 
Over his career as an actor and a singer, Elvis Presley performed in films that somewhat matched his talents, and to the best of his ability, Elvis somewhat tried to evolve with the changing times for good or, well, mostly for bad when we're talking about his movies. But history shows that no pop star before Elvis or any pop star after Elvis accomplished as much as a singer and as an actor. Elvis Presley made 31 movies in 13 years that all made money, and most of them were terrible. And each of these movies were released alongside a soundtrack album that kept Elvis Presley's music career alive and well. Madonna, Sting, Prince, Fiddy Scent, Phil Collins, Michael Jackson, Bob Dylan, they all made movies. And you know what? Most of them were terrible. They didn't make 31 of them, and all their movies didn't make money. By today's standards, the movies of Elvis Presley raked in $2.2 billion at the box office, and that's just counting the U.S. receipts. Now, there are some pop stars that have found success making films, including Frank Sinatra and Cher, Ice Cube, LL Cool J, and Mark Wahlberg, but their success is nothing compared to that of Elvis Presley because people went to an Elvis movie because it was an Elvis movie. And by the end of his film, Elvis wasn't taken too seriously as an actor or even as a musician. As the box office receipts slowed for Elvis movies, so did the sale of his albums. And it wasn't until the airing of his 1968 comeback special on NBC, you know, the one where Elvis wore the black leather jumpsuit, that Elvis really returned to shades of his former glory. Now at this point in his life, Elvis was married to Priscilla and they had an infant daughter, Lisa Marie, who would later go on to marry Michael Jackson. Boy, that was weird, remember that? Elvis would go on to other lifetime adventures, including him famously meeting President Nixon. Uh, he performed in that sequin jumpsuit that would launch a thousand impersonator careers, and he ultimately died unexpectedly at his home Graceland due to complications from suspected drug usage at the age of 42. Elvis wasn't a terrible actor. I mean, not like Madonna or Mick Jagger. And on screen, Elvis had an easy charm about him that offset his inability to emote. Almost every movie Elvis made was truly terrible, but surprisingly, they're still enjoyable to watch. And that's quite an accomplishment. A pop singer who grew up poor, gained nationwide success as a singer, supported the military with his service, and starred in what's viewed as a racially insensitive movie where white people wear makeup to appear as a minority? Look, Elvis didn't come up with any of that. He just kind of made it his own, like nobody before or anybody since. Now, I know what you're probably wondering. Is Stay Away Joe that offensive by modern standards? Of course it is. Is the movie entertaining by modern standards? Of course it isn't. But is it time to get Bowen here to discuss this movie in way too much detail? <laughs> Come on, you and I both know the answer to that question, and it's yes. So, without any further delay, ladies and gentlemen, sit back, relax, and enjoy the first episode of Season 15, A Flop is Born as we proudly, somewhat, present Elvis Presley in 1953's Stay Away Joe. And welcome... To Pick 6 Movies, I am Chad Cooper, and as always, I am joined by my lifelong Cleveland Indians and Washington Redskins superfan, Mr. Bo Ransdell. Bo, how are you doing tonight? Oh my god, what is this? <laughs> Let's go ahead and just get this out of the way. Is this the most racially insensitive movie? Yes. 
<laughs> this movie is is like if Birth of a Nation was a, a musical comedy. It's it's horrifying. Is there anything we've ever done that comes close to how racist this movie is? I would have told you once upon a time, boy, that Wild Wild West is sure racist. And and I would have been right, Chad. Yes. But not like this. This is this is so egregious. It's that Dave Chappelle joke of like somebody offering him fried chicken and just being like, oh my, holy shit, that's so racist. I'm surprised. I'm not even angry. I'm just shocked by how obvious it is. And and that's kind of the feeling through the whole movie is just like, wow, there isn't a single scene in this film that is not outrageous, either with uh, the brown face or substituting like <laughs> Indonesian actresses for Native Americans or the shiftless and drunken behavior. If this movie were about African Americans, like Disney Plus would have pulled it. It's that level of just outrageous racism. So, yeah. Yes, that is baked in with this movie. Can you... Hey, spoilers, can we recommend this movie? Fuck no. This is racist as shit. When we proposed this season and we kicked around what musicians, which, by the way, welcome to uh, season 15. When we talked about doing an Elvis movie, I was like, I, I'll, I would love to do an Elvis movie. And I looked through the catalog of Elvis movies because I realized, well, I've never seen an Elvis movie beginning to end. I've seen pieces of Jailhouse Rock and I've seen clips of Blue Hawaiian, but I'd never watched one beginning to end. As I went through and read the descriptions and I got to Elvis Presley plays a Native American bull rider. I'm like, well, this is good. And then it was uh -huh. <laughs> followed by <laughs> his father, parentheses, Burgess Meredith. And I was like, I'm done. This is what we're doing. We both signed off on this. This wasn't <laughs> like, I don't want to put this in your lap and say, how dare you? Chad? I didn't make the movie. Well, and also our eyes got a little bigger than our stomachs on this one. We thought this is this is outrageous, but it's outrageous in a way that's like, oh, the, how hilarious is that, right? Elvis playing a Native American bull rider. That's going to be just the nuttiest. And you're just not prepared, or at least I wasn't, for just the blatant racism of the behavior of these characters and how they're treated by other people and the production design is racist and the music See, and uh, like this uh, the music stings are just like oh god make all this stop like it's bad enough that we had to in endure kevin costner and dances with wolves but that this somehow is is worse i am of a different point of view I 100% recommend this movie. It costs two bucks over on Amazon to rent it. And look, if I don't do my part to support that company, they may not be around in six months, Bo. I recommend it not because it's good, because it clearly isn't. The level of jaw-dropping racism in this film, we cannot do it justice. And it's unapologetic about it. It has no idea that it's racist. <laughs> it's like it was completely made by a bunch of your uncles. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, 100%. Like, this was this came out in 1968, Chad. 1968. <laughs> this is like four years after the Civil Rights Act. This is the same year as the Native American Civil Rights Act or the Indian Civil Rights Act, where they got, like, the Bill of Rights applied to Native Americans in this country. It was a year of civil rights. Not just a year, like, a, the, the whole decade up to that point had been about civil rights and recognizing other, uh, other cultures and minorities and uh, were a few years away from fucking marlon brando not even showing up at the oscars to have a native american come out and accept an oscar on stage in protest oh my god and this movie is in the same like chronological ballpark the review that you mentioned in the introduction of being so ridiculously tone deaf that's what it is because it thinks it's being kind of fun and silly and goofy and the whole time you're just like what are you doing it's jaw-dropping, as you said. and It's the first movie that I've ever rented that came with the disclaimer at the beginning to let me, the viewer, know that this movie is rated PG for violence, sexual content, drug use, foul language, and brown face. Oh, I didn't even see that. Oh, my God. I didn't realize that was a thing you could change a rating for. It was rated PG by the Motion Picture Association of America, giving it the same rating as Disney's Frozen and the original Poltergeist. Yeah, it's closer to Poltergeist. <laughs> this movie is about 10% singing, 30% montages, 15% wrestling, and 100% racist. Yeah, that's right. I don't know if that adds up, but probably. There's no plot that I can really identify and the whole movie just feels like a bunch of B and C plots strung together to make a feature film. I'm of two minds about this movie, Chad. Like, I'm really torn. Because <laughs> on the one hand, I think you understand my point of view at this point, that this movie is mind-bogglingly racist. Yeah. On the other hand, I, like you, had never seen a movie that starred Elvis Presley before. Uh -huh. There are moments I'm watching this Goebbels-level piece of propaganda, and at the same time, I'm like, you know what? He has got it. I don't know what it is, but he's got it. Absolutely. I, I felt like watching this movie, it was like you were at an improv comedy show and the performers on stage are like all right everybody all right we need a famous celebrity who names about somebody famous elvis oh yeah elvis great all right how about a setting the old west oh that's great and now we need an occupation bull rider oh i like this elvis in the old west and he's a bull rider this is gonna be great now how about a couple of relatives for elvis in the old west his dad and his stepmom oh this is great and um like who do you think would be a good celebrity to maybe be his dad Burgess Meredith and Brownface. Wait, what? <laughs> Fill the whole thing with racist stereotypes. We can't do that. We'll they'll they'll kick us out of here. Make some of the characters mentally disabled. How about that? The hell is do it enough to where it's not noticeable at first, but try to make it funny. Do that thing we just said. I asked for a holiday. <laughs> All of that happens in this movie. 
Oh my god. Yeah. Let's jump into this thing because I do think there's a bit of a plot which is maybe like at at some point you become sort of snowblind to the racism because <laughs> the plot's super racist too. Don't even worry about it. Our movie starts off and we get Elvis Presley in Stay Away Joe, which I don't know why this movie is called Stay Away Joe at all. It's not cuz he causes trouble everywhere he goes. I mean, in this movie he does destroy the relationships between every single character and fucks the rest of them. <laughs> then it's not established that he has like a curse or something he's a presumably financially successful bull rider somewhere but that kind of gets glossed over because it's not pertinent to anything in this film because he blows all his money on booze chad (laughs) and these big parties like no bullshit this is what is happening in this movie he just can't hang on to a dollar man like he has all these big ideas but (laughs) but fucks him up because he's lazy and shiftless And our movie (laughs) we hear a harmonica playing, but we get this lengthy establishing shots of the American West, and eventually we get to hear Elvis singing one of the three or four songs he sings in this film. It's called Stay Away, which is different than the song Stay Away Joe that we hear a little later. Stay Away Joe's a little more up tempo. (laughs) Better stay away, Joe. And that that one's a lot more fun. Stay away is much more somber. It's the it's the big sweeping vistas. It's it's a a more emotional piece. And they also ripped off green sleeves for this opening song. After a complete three minutes of bullshit credits where nothing happens, (laughs) we finally get to see a white Cadillac heading down an old dirt road it's got a red leather interior and it makes a hard left onto a smaller dirt road and then we get our first close-up shot of elvis joe driving the cadillac and bo he is in full brown face it's shocking almost as shocking chad (laughs) i know you're not one for credits but let me share one of my favorite credits of Uh the film based on the book of the same name (laughs) the fuck this was based on a novel they wrote a book and then they made a a musical and then they made this movie (laughs) yeah it was a book it was a cocktail napkin (laughs) when you see the brown face and see how complete it is in fact i showed some shots or a trailer to a a friend of ours Uh and his response was oh that is brown face (laughs) like it was you know oh i I knew it was going to be brown face but then you see it it's like the mole from austin powers (laughs) at any point did you think maybe elvis just had a really really deep tan like he'd been hanging out with george hamilton kind of a tan not in this movie no it is absolutely (laughs) obvious makeup he was in a makeup chair being made up to be native american that is that's how this and his hair is really dyed black too yes but he's he's at the wheel he interrupts another guy in brown face on horseback bronco uh-huh. uh or bronc for short who is letting out this just howard dean yell of delight as soon as he sees uh elvis joe <laughs> but then bronc rides his horse over to elvis joe's cadillac and elvis joe just reaches up and grabs bronc and yanks him down into this roofless white cadillac every car that he drives is a convertible it has to be open air and these two just start wrestling in the car yeah. <laughs> just hey how about how about I hit you one right in the chops? Oh man, come on! I just wanted to tickle your ribs and and grab your thighs. You look so handsome up there. And he's like, oh, it's, oh, stop it, Elvis Joe. And this dude, Bronk, he's like, hey, I thought I was going to see you at the stockyards. <laughs> and uh, Elvis Joe is like, no, baby, I, I had some business here in Flagstaff. 
Also, uh, that just means I was doing a whole lot of fucking. Keep an eye out. I'm going to be doing a whole lot more, baby. There is a whole lot of man-on-man wrestling grab-ass in this movie. Piles of men in this movie. (laughs) Not just once, but multiple (laughs) times through the film. Where just a bunch of dudes writhing on top of each other. It is erotic. So Elvis Joe is like, Come on, man. We got to quit fucking around. We got to head up on to the house because that congressman fellow's coming. Right. What? what, what? It, it's so difficult to cobble together what the hell's going on in this movie. So, Bronk, and there are two other cattle ranch hands on horses. They start herding this cattle again. And then Elvis Joe just floors this Cadillac and starts honking his horn <laughs> and chasing these cows as tires yeah. squeal on the dry grass. In the, in the sandy dirt beneath his automobile. And Elvis Joe is just doing donuts on top of cactus. He's whipping around trees and ends up crashing his Cadillac in this pond out in a cow field that is just full of piss and shit. As he crashes into the pond, he says, oh, shoot, man, missed the break. <laughs> And then they look up to see this plume of white smoke Uh coming from somewhere off in the distance. And you're like, oh, right, smoke signals. What do white people know about (laughs) Native Americans? Okay, right. There are definitely going to be chief. There's definitely going to be a TP. They don't smoke a peace pipe. They left that one out. One of the many shocking things about this movie, Chad. It's the racism you don't play. It's the jazz of racism. The one thing I really liked about this scene after he crashes his car is they see the smoke going up in the air. And then Elvis Joe points at it. And then it just cuts away. The editing in this movie is mind-bogglingly inconsistent. It it reminded me of Troy McClure educational film. Like, it was purposefully edited bad so that you could laugh along with how completely disjointed it makes this movie feel it's jarringly bad and the edit is over to burgess meredith Lightcloud, uh-huh. who is just walking outside this shithole of a house yelling at a bunch of yapping dogs shut up you bastards and he's in total brown face as well and all of it's totally unfortunate all right we look there's a lot to unpack here first off (laughs) yeah elvis joe points at the smoke signals cut to burgess meredith light cloud and you're thinking oh this must be the source of the smoke signals that's wrong okay Mm mm-hmm and when you say that Burgess Meredith Lightcloud is in brown face, it makes Elvis Joe's brown face l- like look like an albino. Yes, it makes it subtle. Yes. That was where I was like, this is about to get much, much worse. Because it's not just that he is in brown face. They have darkened up the eye sockets, you know, to make him look more friendly and approachable, Bo. Yeah, and slightly hungover. (laughs) Slightly sober. He's wearing a red bandana. And as he's screaming at these dogs, the camera pans over and we realize that all of this drunken manic behavior has been happening while a state congressman and his associate are standing on this property where Burgess Meredith Lightcloud lives. And this property, I just want to describe this a little bit for those of you who have never seen this. Everywhere you look, it's just dirt 
and rocks and filth. Oh, old rusted corrugated metal fence that they're using to keep the cows in uh-huh. is all just trees, not not even wood, just old fallen down trees that they've stacked on top of each other, busted cars that haven't run since the 30s. It looks like the home office of the Blair Witch Project. It's like Sanford and Son Day 3. <laughs> you know, like we're headed to junkyard. There's an ungroomed, most likely malnourished horse struggling to stand up in the background just coughing <laughs> there are no less than six feral dogs of varying size and color none of which share any resemblance to one another just barking and running around all over the place waiting for one of their canine pals to die so that the others will have something to eat it's a real machiavellian <laughs> scenario with these dogs and burgess meredith just gets distracted by a chicken while the congressman's trying to talk to him and she's like ah come here you gotta it's good for the footwork and he grabs this chicken which with surprising aplomb in fairness like burgess meredith actually catches this this chicken (laughs) and then he just hands it to the the congressman because he sees some smoke and he's just like hang on the phone's ringing like the whole deal though is that the congressman and i think it's the dude who owns the bank is the other guy he's like the az mr drysdale the idea is they're gonna give burgess meredith light cloud a bunch of cows uh-huh. to to raise and it's sort of this outreach program i think to native americans he says to him he's like if you're successful you'll be an example to the rest of the native american tribes in this area at this point burgess meredith light cloud he's not paying attention at all and he just yells out smoke smoke talk then out of nowhere our movie introduces us to grandpa flight cloud he pops up in the background and of course he's another actor in brown face in fairness shed he's at least hispanic so that's something it's yeah it's something all right <laughs> he is wearing this native american blanket and a hat that would make pharrell jealous with happy rage and grandpa lightfoot who does speak at times like a big screen native american like that smoke talk yeah chester Walter walking bear over at big springs i thought that old dog eater was dead by now whoa there grandpa lightfoot let's keep the inner tribe grievances to a minimum burgess meredith then is like what what'd they say what's it say pop can't read your own language anyway it's a get ready for big whoop up watch your squaws elvis joe coming home is that the native american equivalent of hide your kids hide your wife hide your husband elvis joe's coming back he's gonna tap anything with two legs i love the fact that they're just like look we can't have another syphilis outbreak (laughs) in this area first of all at least one of the characters in this movie is too young (laughs) also it's just gonna it's gonna eat up the entire trial burgess meredith lightfoot he gets really excited about this news and he's like elvis joe's coming back to town elvis joe is coming back to town so naturally burgess meredith light cloud just starts chasing more chickens around in the dirt yeah (laughs) he's looking around also for annie annie where are you oh god damn we never around when you annie the congressman here says burgess meredith light cloud look the reason elvis joe has come back is because he 
was the one who suggested that I, the congressman, could you could you please stop chasing that chicken for a moment? I'm trying to give you exposition that, of what yeah, little that, plot is in that, this. I'm with you. All right, go ahead. Speak in peace. Uh, look, it is politically advantageous to me, the congressman. If oh, look at that if one. You, please stop chasing your dogs. And that one's in heat. The others keep trying to hump it. I gotta kick them off with the back of my heel go ahead you got my full attention you will raise cattle out here in the middle of nowhere and you succeed Uh it will spread to the other why are you following that bony horse around sir i really need you to he doesn't get out much when he starts walking somewhere you follow huh it's an event you want to come i need you to raise cattle i'm gonna leave the movie for a very long time because i've done everything that i need to do here to get the plot (laughs) of this film up and run yeah i'll raise big fat cows and when people come here i'll show them the fat cows and the calves and then they say where'd you get them and i'll say from my congressman and you know what he gave me these cows to prove that the indian can be a hard-working american citizen and not a lazy bum like some of the white men think that is actual dialogue from this film yeah lazy good for nothings <laughs> is, is how that is phrased jesus i mean that just tells you up front like this is how we are racist horrifying beliefs about the native american people (laughs) the subject of this film it's a real something and then the congressman is like yeah yeah you got any questions talk to you know mr drysdale here good luck burgess meredith Lightcloud, grandpa Lightcloud, who's a real statler and waldorf in this movie (laughs) he's just like yeah he'll need it it's like oh jesus come on grandpa but you get on board a little bit this is a real opportunity <laughs> as they're leaving they're like hey we got to keep this deal quiet but there's no way that's going to happen because by sundown there'll be more native americans here than little bighorn <laughs> is what they say and then drive off yeah. and as they're driving this late model model t ford comes heading down the same road and it runs the congressman's car off the road into the brush but nobody gets killed there is more tire squealing and and annie who is driving this is just you know you know because she's a fiery spanish pepper in this movie her ancestry is that one of her parents was mexican and the other one was a native american that's what they say (laughs) yes so annie light cloud she shows up and she's the wife of burgess meredith light cloud and i I'm guessing that she is the second wife of Burgess Meredith Light Cloud because Elvis Joe is not her son. And then right. is the daughter Mary Annie's daughter? So she and Elvis are not full brother sister. Oh, no, no. And I kept expecting them to fuck. In I this did movie. too, but they don't. Of all the, the brown faced actors in this uh-huh. movie, she's not even close. You're talking about Annie or Mary, the daughter? Mary. Yeah, she's not close at all. She looks like Mary Tyler Moore more than anybody else yeah so annie pops out of this car and she's got a bag of groceries paid for with money from i don't know what business annie gets out and she's like this house is a disaster the next big rain it's going to float away you need to fix the brakes on the car i almost killed somebody earlier annie and burgess meredith light cloud they enter into their home and i use that word very loosely Mm -hmm. their house looks like what i would expect if pippi 
Longstocking grew up on the little house on the prairie. <laughs> yeah. They go in this place and nothing matches anything in the house. One wall is purple. A table is red. There is a wooden ladder that leads to nowhere. Doors open to the outside of the house that are a good four feet off the ground. There is a hole in the floor that drops down into an opening that's at least three feet deep. This is a starter kit if you wanted to build your own Winchester mystery house. It's a shanty. If there were more of them, it would be a shanty town. <laughs> there's a tree growing up through the middle of the house. Literally. Yes, literally. And there's a, a hole that you can fall right through. Again, because these are Native Americans, <laughs> why would they live any other way? It's not weird to them. It, you know, Annie walks around talking about how she wants to fix the place up, but that's never going to happen because Burgess Meredith Lightcloud is just like, ah, you know I'm just going to get drunk, Annie. Which is what he does the whole movie. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he is half lit the entire film. But he's trying to tell her about the cows. He's like, Annie, I got something to tell you. Shut your pie hole for two seconds. I got a cow yeah, story She's just for bitching you. about how the house is falling. During this back and forth, she scoops up a pan of feed for the chickens outside. And she also grabs a phone book. And I'm like, do they have a telephone? But they don't. She just takes it outside and throws it on the ground next to the outhouse so that people can wipe their asses with the pages of the phone book after they shit in this wooden box. Yeah, because that's how they live. <laughs> then Grandpa, who is either asleep or drunk on the porch, cracks an eye just to say, oh, legend of the wicked stepmother is true. Scorpion Squaw should work more and talk less. Yeah. She says, watch it, old man. I'll bury you and that filthy blanket of yours into happy hunting ground. Yeah. That's a, a little pepper one-two punch of racism that you're not expecting. And it kind of taters you for a second. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. Oh, my God. It came fast. About this time, Bronk, the guy who wrestled Elvis earlier in the movie, he shows up on his horse, and he's a hooping and a holler. Hey, open up the gate. Here comes Joe. Birds will smear the life cloud. You got to go over there and take that rickety pile of wood and open up and get that old horse out of there. Elvis Joe's coming with a bunch of cows. Hey, did you see that truck? It's got girls falling off it. You got to go back and pick them up, Joe. They'll never make it on their own. So all these cows come rolling in and there is a parade of trucks and cars that are following and it is covered with all types of people, parents, children, boys, girls, men, women. They're honking their horns. They're hooping and a hollering. They're just hanging off the sides of these vehicles, all headed up towards the light cloud shanty. It's very chaotic. And all the vehicles look like they're from Havana. They're all just like falling apart, <laughs> held together by spitting bailing wire and primer colored doors and shit and burgess <laughs> meredith light cloud as this is coming up this field of <laughs> dreams caravan of partiers is on its way he's trying to lasso this horse ah, come here you goddamn horse and he just runs out and he just gives up he just gives up the pen that they're gonna put these 20 cows in is clearly made for one very sickly horse yeah <laughs> cannot hold 20 cows it's the above ground pool of pins, you know, like, it looks fine, but it's no good. Oh my God. So they get all these cows up there and then Brock, he's like, hi, 
Burgess Meredith Lightcloud. You got 20 heifers, but I don't see a bull. And then someone yells out, here he comes. And we cut to Elvis Joe riding over a hilltop on the back of a bull using his famed rodeo skills. And in one hand, he has a suitcase and the other one, he's holding on to the, the bull. So there's more hooping and a hollering when they see him coming. Everybody is happy about this, but Annie. No, she looks like Lindsay Buckingham on What Up With That? But she turns around. <laughs> yeah, she went for a second and then she kind of gets all stoked faced again grandpa lightfoot during this whole situation he's really indifferent and his character doesn't matter at all in this movie he adds nothing there's a lot of things in this that i don't understand why it's there but he is at the top of that list well right uh after all the racism number one of course racism number two all the children of the world (laughs) joining hands so, um, so Elvis Joe rides this bull all the way up to the shanty house and he makes it up to the corral and then the bull throws Elvis Joe off where he lands on his back and the hooping and the hollering stops because I think Elvis Joe might be dead. But Elvis Joe peeks one eye open. And he's like, hey, man, will somebody scratch my back? I got an itch. And then Elvis Joe gets up and he just starts punching his friends. Yeah, one of the first man piles happens is dudes start wrestling and hitting each other. They start punching and and fighting, but he goes around and says help. First, he says hello to his dad. He's like, hey, Burgess Meadows Flight Crowd, it's good to see you, daddy. And then he says, hey, Annie, you're my stepmom. It's good to see you. And she's not too happy. Elvis Joe looks around. He says, like, see, where's Mary, my baby sister? And then Burgess Meredith Light Cloud, again, I just want to point out, his makeup is so grotesquely offensive in this film. He looks over it at Elvis Joe and he says, Mary, she got a job with Mr. Slager, the guy who was here earlier with the congressman. She's city folk now, Elvis Joe. She works at the bank, living off the land and eating food she found on the side of the road. Wasn't good enough for her. She had to go down and find a better way to live. And he doesn't get, you don't say, out of his mouth before he is tackled to the ground. Uh-huh. And these dudes just start rolling down this dusty hill, ass over tea kettle, while they throw in some ADR uh-huh. about, like, why his Cadillac isn't there. And also, he traded a saddle for some city dude's wife. Like, this is all happening as they're rolling and fight. There is so much ADR work as well as supplemental Foley artist sound effects. It's like watching the Three Stooges beat each other up or fall down a flight of stairs. Yeah, you know, the streamer that just gets a soundboard and all of a sudden everything's gonna need a boing. And this movie is boing heavy. Don't don't even kid Wait yourself. till we get to the end. This guy found a slide whistle and he was damn sure going to use it. <laughs> the end gets shocking with the use of that. Another way that this movie shocks you. During all of this fighting, they're like, Elvis, what happened to your diamond studded belt buckle? And what about this? And, and Elvis sort of retorts at one point. He's like, hey, man, if you boys aren't careful, I'm going to drive my Cadillac up here and I'm going to take care of all of your squaws. Which, dude. All right, just keep going the movie cuts over to these two young women that are watching this fight along with like 25 other people including children one of the women uh, after hearing elvis joe say this she says oh yeah and this other woman beside her says "Mm, he can do it too the level of depravity that this movie openly encourages is truly shocking yeah 
for the hero of the movie to be this amoral is really surprising we'll get into it there's a moment where in this man pile someone realizes that elvis has a hundred dollars while they're beating each other up elvis says hey bronk why don't you take some of this money and go down to glinda callahan's place and buy up every case of beer she's got and then that's when one of them gets hold of this hundred dollar bill and both the sight of a $100 bill stops this melee in its tracks. Mm-hmm. Do you remember the exclamation from, and I believe it's Bronk who does it, but he holds this $100 bill and he goes, Holy Custer! Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> and then everyone outside this man pile is impressed by the $100 too. Elvis Joe says, Hey, Grandpa, how about you take off that signal blanket you've been wearing the whole movie and let everyone know by smoke. Joe Lightcloud is home, and a party is going to hold on as long as a beer holds out, man. It, it might last a week. It might last a month. It all depends on how long the beer lasts, you know, because we're all uncontrollable alcoholics. And then he drags people into the pond to splash around before yet another Joe Lightcloud orgy, apparently. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot more wrestling out in the water, but he grabs a couple of girls so that their shirts can get nice and wet and he can grope them as much as possible. <laughs> so, And then, Chad, we start the party sequence of the film, which is like 20 minutes of the movie. Yeah, this thing's a, just a little bit over an hour 40, and a good 20, 25 minutes of it is just this party. So This one party, yes. <laughs> it's like later that night and this party's happening at the light cloud shanty and there's a bonfire and a live band is there with guitars and drums and a guy's playing the fiddle more cars keep showing up there's beer everywhere it kind of looks like what i would expect that manson compound to be like with a hint of hee-haw thrown in for seasoning it's the party at the moon tower from dazed and confused just everybody's got pull tab beers in yep. hand and bronco is walking around not only drinking beer in uh, for himself, just turns his own beer in, up into other people's mouths yeah. who gratefully accept, hey, have some more. And everybody is down. Annie's smoking a cigar. It's fucking chaos. In the house, it's packed with people dancing. And Burgess Meredith Lightcloud is completely drunk. And he drops his beer that rolls on the floor. So he crawls around on his hands and his knees looking for his missing beer can. And as he's making his way through all of the dancing legs in the house, he just starts looking up skirts and checking out the asses of the women dancing. Yeah. And finally, Brunk finds Elvis Joe kissing some girl. Brunk is like, hey! Joe, how about you sing us a song? He's like, oh, no, man. I'm, I'm just here to, you know, kiss a few girls. You know how it is, man. And he's like, no, Joe, you gotta. And so he does. Ho, jump down, spin around, let's have a party. Look who's back. Stay away, Joe. Choctaw, Chickasaw, gonna drink a hearty. Welcome back. Stay away, Joe. Stay away, Joe. They call me Stay away, Joe. Oh, yeah, but if you need me, call me a hoop and a holler and a holler be there. Ho! It, it's a catchy little number. When you hear it, you're like, oh, my, my toe's tapping a little. It's making me forget about all of the vile racism. <laughs> Until he starts throwing dice and grabbing chickens outside <laughs> and throwing one around just to be mean yeah, to Yeah, he, like, he pops out of the outhouse at one point and It's nuts, man. And the best part of this whole scene is watching Burgess Meredith Lightcloud dance around like a drunken maniac. He looks like Navin Johnson dancing. He's offbeat because 
because he's so drunk. Yeah. <laughs> you see that all the dogs were hiding under the porch? They know how this game is played. Everyone here is hammered. They're going to get fed beer or fucked. As this song is going on, we also see that Mary, the half-sister to Elvis Joe, uh-huh. is there with her white boyfriend, Lorne, uh-huh. who doesn't seem to notice <laughs> that she is incredibly white also and she's like hey lorne i just want to take you to meet the rest of the tribe golly that'll be fun i like that during this whole party lorne looks like an anthropologist dropped into a culture that he didn't know existed he's just dumbstruck and amused and baffled and curious yes i think the anthropological thing is probably the right way to see his character because he clearly looks down on these people (laughs) And, and so does his mother but there's this whole conversation through the film about like mary you know my mother and i aren't like that we're not outwardly racist sure we look down on you and think how you and your parents live as shit but we're not gonna say that we're accepting elvis joe goes over to mary and he says hey little sister what's this i hear about you living in a city in a house that's got a roof and no snakes hanging out in the bathroom sink mary says yeah that happened hey joe what's this i hear about you getting cattle from a congressman well i gotta go elvis joe and that scene ends they just cut it off and we jump over to more drunken mayhem this is one of my favorite subplots of the movie where elvis joe gets distracted by and i swear this is her her name billy joe hump who according to elvis show she can chew on my moccasins anytime man and bronk is like hey that's frank hulk's new girlfriend hands off yeah man i got you you know me i ain't just gonna go around fucking any old girl and the whole time, Billy Joe Hump is giving him x-ray fuck eyes. She's on, I guess what you would call the kitchen slash living room slash dining room slash bedroom floor of this one room shanty dancing around with a guy named Jackson Hecro. That's right. Elvis saddles up next to Billy Joe Hump's boyfriend, Frank Hawk, and he says, oh, look at here. Your girl out there is dancing kind of sexy with Jackson Hecro, who was part of that wrestling melee we had earlier. You going to stand here and and take that man he's got a big hammer i know man uh it was incidental contact in the man pile but i felt it and it was impressive and i I like that he describes it as uh (laughs) if a guy did that without music man they throw him in jail trust me i know i've spent a couple of weeks in the clink for doing things less vile than what you're seeing out there right now man you're not gonna stand here and take that are you you need to go over there and take care of business a little uh tcb and so frank hawk goes over and proceeds to punch jackson hecro and an all-out cannonball run-esque movie brawl ensues yes there are punches kicks slinging people over shoulders people go flying through the air beer bottles are flying oddly enough there is a pillow fight that breaks out and feathers are just drifting through the air it's like being backstage at the muppet show Uh, like i expect this behavior in like a a stage production of seven brides and seven for seven brothers elvis joe and billy joe hump are crawling their way to safety aka the nearest fuck pit he just takes her outside to an open convertible that i don't even think belongs to elvis joe only grandpa sees and he ain't talking no he just gets her into the back seat of this car and the two of them start having sex against a backdrop of a domestic bar fight in the light cloud shanty billy joe hump says how long you think the fight will last and he says 
long enough baby so they finish fucking and then they wander back into the party but the fight is still going on <laughs> yes <laughs> the best part of this whole thing is that the fight they left <laughs> is still going on after they fuck including foreplay and frank hawk sees his girlfriend billy joe hump and he says say billy joe hump are you okay i haven't seen you around here for about a half hour this fight has been going on for over 30 minutes i I like the fact that the band is still played. I imagine it's much like the band on the Titanic, where at a certain point they're just like, you know, it's been a, po- a pleasure playing with you, lads. Let's we're gonna play this until the fight happens to us. So, so Billy Joe Hump, she says, mm-hmm, "I'm more than fine," because she's freshly fucked by elvis joe and so elvis joe he splits and he goes over to talk to mary who's with lauren who's got eyes as big as saucers and lauren's watching all of this chaos with this sense of wonderment this is a whole new world for lauren the white guy and mary says uh say lauren i'm gonna go outside with elvis joe for a talk stay here and try not to get punched in the face mary and elvis joe they go outside and mary says does the congressman really think that he will be governor if burgess meredith Lightcloud succeeds raising cattle and elvis joe says yeah man it's a cheap way to buy votes what are they talking about bo the idea is if the government via this congressman is giving herds of cattle to all the native americans they will vote for this congressman and ensure that he's elected to governor which is the idea is that this is a political play to get into Uh, the governor's mansion for this uh congressman mary asks elvis joe why do you keep coming back to help out burgess meredith light cloud like you did with the oil rig and the golf course why not go make something of yourself elvis joe were those two other get rich schemes that didn't pan out in this movie's prequels here comes joe and joe comes back the most horrifying trilogy ever put to film elvis joe says hey look here i'm a terrible person and in this movie i do a whole bunch of bad things but we need this scene in the movie to show that i care about my dad burgess meredith light cloud he's my dad right and that makes you my stepsister are we related should i be trying to have sex with you do you like convertibles oh joe and then she says look i've got to save a certain white man from all you native americans well it's been fun catching up joe i'm gonna head on inside maybe get myself a wine cooler she says i gotta go save a white man from being scalped by the indians yeah Yeah. i was cleaning it up You, you don't need to do So we then get a scene with Annie, who has now built herself a hot bathtub in the front yard of this house. And it's a big metal tub with a fire pit under it. And she is naked in the middle of the night, smoking a cigar, taking a bath while this fight is still happening in the house. And Burgess Meredith, Light Cloud, is drunk, sitting on a truck bed, (laughs) staring at his wife. And I swear his face has gotten even darker in this scene. And it's not only creepy that all this is happening grandpa light cloud is sitting nearby watching his daughter-in-law this middle-aged woman bathing and he's giving her shit about being the demon shame of the light cloud tribe he calls her a half breed which is always fun uh it reminds me of a, a great chair song elvis joe comes over to get an eyeful of his naked stepmom he's like hey what's going on here why don't you get out of that water and feed these party goers this all begins because bronco wanders out saying and i quote hey i've never had that much beer in my life and then grandpa says when we have big whoop up 
<laughs> we would serve buffalo. Hi, I could go for some buffalo wings. And Burgess Meredith says, At where we gotta get buffalo? Wait a second. Yeah, he and Elvis Joe both turn their heads and look at the cows that showed up no less than six hours ago. And they have a real, hey man, are you thinking what I'm thinking? Look. And then Elvis Joe looks over at Bronk and he goes, say, Bronk, I know you're really drunk. You can barely stand up on your own, but I need you to go over here and slaughter one of these cows. I think that's why he asks him. Are you drunk enough to forget the horrifying image of this cow bleeding out, man? Because there's going to be a lot of blood. Hey, I've got a golf club in the back of my truck. I'll take care of this toot sweet. I'll tell you, man, I, I have hit a cow with a golf club. You're going to need something bigger. Man, them, them skulls are thick as hell. Did I mention that my golf club is also attached to a cinder block, which is also attached to the bathroom key at the Sitco toilet? I got to tell you, Bubba, my money's still on that cow, but I'm sure as hell going to like watching it. We cut to the next scene where a cow is on a spit roasting over a fire. Keep in mind, the party is still going on during all this. They slaughter, prepare, and cook yes. a cow <laughs> while while j- continuing to drink and party. Lest you think that the fight is over, the movie cuts back to Frank Hawk and Jackson Hecro, and they are still beating the shit out of each other. In between drinks. Because we can't have one stereotype without the other, Chad. Oh my god. We're gonna combine them and, and get the chocolate and the peanut butter. If we get more shots of the dogs cowering in fear under the porch, because they know what's good for them. The band is still playing music, and then Bo, girl Girls start climbing up on nearby rocks to go-go dance. And then the film starts doing these hard edits where not only does the film sort of jump from one scene to another, the music soundtrack abruptly shifts from country western to this generic beach blanket guitar rock. And then the clips start getting shorter and shorter and more rapid. And you start seeing women being dragged off by men over their shoulders. And as this rapid fire series of images reaches a crescendo it ends with burgess meredith light cloud sitting in a different porcelain bathtub where he's just totally submerged in empty beer cans and elvis by the way still drunkenly making out with some girl just like he's the last man standing in all of this and just come on baby stay with me it's i got enough cocaine in me that this beer ain't gonna cut through it you know i just evened out there are parts of this movie that feel like you're watching one of those latter love bug movies and where it's kind of goofy and silly but then there are scenes like this end of the party where it's almost psychedelic in nature and disorienting the danger must be growing (laughs) right it's really strange the way these it this whole sequence is so completely out of place as a piece of cinema dare i call it (laughs) yeah i don't think it qualifies (laughs) movie at best probably a flick i think they just had a bunch of footage of the party and they were just like put it together there you go there's your party like there was no thought behind it at all. and then the next morning or a month later or whatever everybody is coming to as this place is just littered with beer cans among the usual junk it looks like the day after burning man I mean, there there are <laughs> yes. literally hundreds, if not thousands, of beer cans everywhere. They are on the ground, in the trees, on the roof. They are in Burgess Meredith Lightcloud's pockets. As he walks out of the house, he just starts fishing into his, his pants, and he's just pulling out crushed, empty beer cans. I've been really drunk in my day, but I've never
ever found empty beer cans in my pocket. That was a new one for me. Yeah, that's a special level of alcoholism that I've never even glimpsed. <laughs> As he staggers into the sunlight, ah, Christ, he starts yelling for Elvis Joe. Elvis Joe, where are you? Oh, hey, man, uh, I was just uh, under the porch here catching some Z's with my buddies, tin and cans. As well as a bunch of dogs. I didn't have a blanket, so I just decided to take a bunch of this trash and put it over my body and my face to block out the sun. I wouldn't want my skin to get any darker than it already is. And he's immediately spry. Like, he's not hungover or anything after these weeks of drinking and partying and fighting. And then Annie lets out this shriek that I was 100% sure that she found a corpse. <laughs> it turns into shallow grave. Like, say, man, we gotta bury this body. It's gonna tear our relationships apart, man. Hey, you don't need to bury it. Just put it on the spit. I've got some barbecue sauce, a little bit of sea salt. It's gonna make a de delicious brisket. Talking long pork, man? Now you're talking my style. Ain't the first or the last time I'm gonna eat a human being. Today. <laughs> it turns out that they... Yeah. Hey, save some of that for jerky, man. Stuff is good on the road. It turns out that they don't find a body, but it is discovered that Bronk shot and killed the only bull that they had during the drunken feast of debauchery the night before. So Burgess Meredith Light Cloud says, Ah, Christ, without a bull, how are we going to get bull semen to make these cows have babies? Uh, Burgess Meredith also says, If we get a bull, it's going to cost us $500. We don't have the money to replace that bull, you stupid drunk friend cooked elvis joe steps in and says leave it to me burgess meredith like loud why don't you give me a dollar i'm gonna go over to glinda callahan's you know the only bar in town i'm gonna call a buddy of mine hank bowers over at big spring stockyard i know none of this makes any sense but don't worry we won't explain it later by the way where's that horse that can barely stand on its own four legs i'm gonna ride that into town yeah he takes this horse to a store in the middle of nowhere and inside there's a, an old woman who's glinda watering down liquor bottles yeah he comes in and he's just like, say there, Glenda, you're sure looking real hot. You know how me and you used to flirt and whatnot. You're looking just as good as you ever did. She immediately goes over and starts locking the doors to this place and turning on some sexy music. And she's like, so Elvis Joe, when you were out there riding all those bulls between your manly thighs, did you ever think about me? You know, like maybe I was one of them bulls and how you'd like to ride me. Sure, baby. Uh thought about you a lot did you ever think about you being 30 years my junior and how thrilling exciting that would be for you i learned a lot from you i ain't gonna lie to you mama but <laughs> i gotta tell you i'm moving on i've been looking for a greener banana <laughs> elvis goes over to make a phone call and a car pulls up that needs gas so glenda goes outside to do her job elvis goes over and grabs himself a beer because it's probably what 11 a.m <laughs> yeah elvis calls up this guy hank bowers and he's like hey man i need to get a new bull so about this time from the back room of this roadside bar appears glinda callahan's daughter mamie she is this 19 year old redhead and i propose that she is also a special needs person she is clearly homeschooled at the very least she is supposedly 19 um she acts like she's maybe six in this entire film yes it is unsettling and difficult to watch considering what happens over the next 45 50 minutes of this movie but she's hot and elvis joe sees her and he's like say man i haven't done a mama daughter in a while and this one looks pretty cute. She comes out and she's wiggling her ass in this 1960s floral print miniskirt dress. And she's like, hey, Elvis, Joe, I'm 16 years old now. That's this many. That's 19. I'm 
gonna wiggle around and shake my ass while you're on the phone. Hang on, uh, Hike. Uh, I'm gonna need a bull. I'll tell you what, I'm gonna come by and talk to you about it. Right now, I gotta hang up because something's coming up if you get my drift. What do you need a bull for, Elvis Joe? Wow, that's just grown-up talk. Uh, how about you come over here and let me lick your lips? Glinda overhears this, and she comes inside, and she says, Over my dead body. If anybody's gonna have sex with Elvis Joe, it's gonna be me and my old vagina. Mamie, get in your bedroom and take that shameful dress off. And so she does, but doesn't close the door as she starts to undress, and Elvis Joe is like, All right, now we're talking. Tell you what, uh, can I get a refill on that beer? The floor show seems to be just starting there, Glinda. Glinda then just gets a gun uh-huh she gets a shotgun yeah and starts shooing joe off with a bullet at his feet yeah and the whole time <laughs> elvis joe was like boy that made me sure did grow up on us huh you know what i'm saying there glinda i mean got quite a wreck look elvis the next time i'm not gonna aim so low and what i mean by that is i'm gonna shoot your dick off all right after he takes off and this is kind of evidence to your theory glinda goes back inside where mamie is hugging a teddy bear uh-huh and is like, oh, mom, how come I can't fool around with Joe? And you're like, Ugh, uh, how old are you? I'm this many. My diaper needs changing. Glinda says, don't you even want to be good? Yeah, but how can I be good when I never get any practice at it? <laughs> Implying I need to do a whole bunch more fucking because I'm 19 now and it's time to go. Spoiler alert, she has no idea what sex is. She finds out right. at the end of the movie, but Elvis jumps on his horse and he heads to a car dealership that is selling, what else, a red convertible Cadillac out front. And the car dealership has a sign that says, we trade on anything. And then we get another extended montage where Mr. Whipple from the Charmin commercials he successfully sells elvis joe this car with elvis joe surreptitiously using the old starved bony horse as his trade-in and this scene ends with a literal right as he drives by a sign that says we'll trade on anything and so he takes this car to mary's bank and immediately comes in and kind of like hey stick him up gives her a little finger gun and he's like so i see they finally got you in a cage is that because she's a wild indian bow i believe that's the implication i just don't want to think about it anymore because my nose started bleeding and then <laughs> hi this local politician the guy who owns the bank pulls joe elvis aside to be like i don't think i have to remind you how important this arrangement is with the cows and if you fuck this up i'm gonna have your skin <laughs> and he's like hey don't worry man listen you might if i take my really hot stepsister outside for a minute i promise there'll be no monkey business at least in the sense that there will be no monkeys involved which will be the first time this week so they go outside and elvis has the following conversation with his sister mary so what's the deal with you and your boyfriend lauren holy cow i forgot the bull yeah he just leaves he gets in the car and drives off and his sister's like well i guess i'm headed back to work now and then gets distracted immediately after this he sees sheriff hank and bronk pulls over on the side of the road and says hey man why don't you head out to glenda callahan's roadside bar and we'll get drunk yeah, and of course brock is just like hey that sounds great i was just thinking <laughs> 
I should drink. Elvis Joe goes back to Glenda Callahan's and she's still pouring water in liquor bottles, you know, because it's against the law. Elvis Joe comes in and he's like, hey, Glenda Callahan, Sheriff Hank is on his way out here because he heard you're selling whiskey and that's something you shouldn't be doing. Glenda tells her daughter, you need to get in your room and make you a bed and play with your dolls. So she disappears, not before sticking her tongue out at her mom and slamming the door. So Elvis Joe goes over to Glenda and he says, look at here, Glenda, I've been thinking about you and me and I like women with a lot of mature. I like how loose your body is in certain places and how droopy it is in others. I don't like young, sexy redheads like your daughter with emotional arrested development issues. Why don't you take my convertible Cadillac and go to Flagstaff? I'll get rid of Sheriff Hank and I'll meet you there a little bit later. The sheriff shows up. Glenda freaks out. She runs out the back door, jumps in Elvis's convertible, drives off drunkenly because she's drunk uh-huh. and can't stay between the lines. And Sheriff Hank says, well, that's a funny way to drive your car, you know, intoxicated. Meanwhile, inside, Elvis is already playing little tickle games with Mamie. It's full-blown grab ass. Yeah. He's like smacking her thighs and she's giggling and laughing. That took about eight seconds. Hey, won't you, uh... Tell me when I pat something that you don't normally shave. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, the Sheriff Hank rolls in and is like, Hey, Elvis Joe, wasn't that your car that I just passed swerving all over the road? Hey man, uh, what car? I don't own a car. I didn't just buy a car. Always on the griff, this one. Then he says, Look, man, we're going to have ourselves a real party. Hey, Bronk, why don't you call up the tribe, tell them that this is the happening spot tonight. And this whole time, Mamie is just wiggling in her chair, writhing her legs and crossing an un crossing them and she's being just eyed by the sheriff and bronk and elvis joe it's very unsettling this adult woman child who's also slurping down a cup of yogurt that her mother left her before she split town before being arrested for the illegal sale of liquor without a license at this shithole dive bar it's insane and then we just cut to this party happening at glenda's store he's just giving away all her booze yeah and elvis <laughs> leans out the window and actually yells out hey boys more booze hey you found more booze woohoo i'll be in there right now it's like cleavon little being pulled out from behind that rock and say where's white women at it is that level of just awful stereotype only not intended for comedic effect this shit bar survives on the thinnest of margins and he is just in this place giving away all of her beer and all of her illegal whiskey that she's selling meanwhile mamie is like come on come out to my bedroom which he finally does yeah but not before going over to bronk and saying hey bronk you need to be the bartender and bronk gets behind the bar and he's like hey who wants some fire water <laughs> it's the worst he's like hey before uh i get involved in a little sexual shenanigans here with this i don't know what'd you say 17 19 a little older than i like but all right baby um bronk i need you to go pick up that bull tomorrow from hikes and he's like hey you got it be sure to remind me i'm real drunk What do you need a bull for? Can you explain that to me? And Elvis sort of gives a head nod over to Mamie. Right. (laughs) You know what I'm going to do with that bull? Same thing I'm going to do with this heifer. I'm going to knock her up and then forget all about her. They go to the bedroom and Mamie and Joe start kissing and making out. Yeah, on this adult little girl bed. 
that's yes. covered in flowers, that's pink. The walls have hearts on them. And she tells him, this is my first time. You're just like, oh my God, this is the most horrifying scenario. If you if you had a daughter, this is the worst possible way for your daughter to lose their virginity. To a white guy in brown face. Drunk at a party as a gang has taken over. This story, I mean, like this is the beginning of Death Wish. About this time, Glenda Callahan shows back up at the bar driving Elvis Joe's Cadillac, and she sees that all of the tribesmen are inside drinking her booze. And it cuts back to the bedroom, and Mamie is now being the aggressor and putting the moves on Elvis Joe in this childhood adulthood bedroom of hers. And Glenda goes over and peeks to the windows of her bar and finds it overrun by these maniacs. And then back in the bedroom, Mamie is saying to Elvis, Elvis Joe, we should get married. And then she she leaps in the air, and there's no other way to describe this bow. She jumps Elvis Joe's bones. That's accurate. About this time, Glenda Callahan, she is letting the air out of Elvis Joe's car tires. And then she wanders over to the open window of her daughter's bedroom where she sees Elvis Joe and Mamie kissing. And then Glenda climbs into the bedroom, reaches under this woman-child adult's bed, and pulls out the loaded shotgun and puts it against Elvis Joe's head. Yeah, he gives it a real Looney Tunes, like he looks at the gun and then goes back to kissing Mamie and then looks back at the gun and is like, hey, say there, Glenda. You seem awfully upset about something. She shoots at him. Right. It goes wide. He rushes through this party with Glenda chasing him uh-huh. and Mamie chasing her yep. saying, we're going to get married. Elvis gets to his Cadillac and yep. starts to take off, but realizes, Chad, Uh-oh. that his tires have been flattened by Glenda. Wah, wah. But then <laughs> Glenda takes another shot at him and he's like, fuck this man. Riding on rims is how we're rolling tonight, Elvis Joe. And off he goes. I haven't even made one payment on this Cadillac yet. Wait a minute. I don't even think I signed paperwork for this Cadillac. Wait a minute. I think I stole this Cadillac. Wait, was it an even trade for that horse? That hardly seems right, man. What's that poor guy ever going to feed that horse? I think maybe I did him a disservice. We get to the next day, and Elvis Joe wakes up in his car, and Bronk is there with a bull in the back of this livestock truck. And Grandpa Cloud says, he stole that bull just like the old days. You know, Bo, because Native Americans are not only illiterate, unreliable drunks, they're also notorious thieves. Yeah, lest we forget. So Elvis and Bronco start lowering the back of this thing, and Elvis Show is like, Hey man, get that gate ready. This bull's gonna come charging out of there, man. He's gonna fuck everything he sees once he sees them heifers. Hey, I got a bunch of, I got a bunch more beer. We'll give it to the, the bull and that'll, that'll relax him. Before he goes in there to fuck those heifers. That's what I do before I get with a lady. No, man. Unlike you, we don't want to be pushing rope with this here bull. They get it down, and this bull (laughs) is just passed out in the back of this rock. Yep. They go inside, and they're starting to literally drag him out of the back of the the truck while lullaby music plays. That's funny. They finally get him out, and they get him into the pen, and he just lies down. We do get a nice shot of the bull's scrotum and it looks like a speed bag 
dangling between its back legs. Yeah, that's the one thing that movies of this period had going for. I mean, there was lots and lots of horrible racism, uh -huh. but also eh, they didn't get so hung up on nudity or animal balls and stuff like that. And they were the better for it. Let me ask you a question. Is King Kong a boy or a girl? Technically a boy, but eh, these movies are too cowardly to ever show you. Like a big floppy gorilla cock. I would, <laughs> dude, I would love that so much. If, if King Kong versus Godzilla had the first... First Kong with a real baby's arm between his legs. And like Godzilla like burn it to attack him. He's like, oh, that hurts my parts. Because that's how King Kong would talk. Clearly. <laughs> hey, Godzilla. Hey, Godzilla. Quit roasting my wiener with your open flame. I heard you're all the way from Tokyo. Is that true? Did you eat some fish on the way? It seems like you'd be all full up. Also, why are you so big? If you're eating all that fish, those omega-3 fatty acids supposed to melt it right off. Let me ask you a question. If you were a, if your head was a hot dog, would you use your own atomic breath to cook yourself? It's a simple question. Just answer it, my friend. Just answer it, Godzilla. Hey, Godzilla, are you and Balthor really friends, or is it more uneasy alliance? I always suspected it was the latter, but I hoped it was the former. The two don't have to be mutually exclusive. Hey. Also, what about those twins that sing to Mothra? How come they never sang a song about you? Or more importantly, how come they've never sang a song about me? Hey, do you think they could sing a song about us as friends? Godzilla and Brong together again. I'll start it off for Ebony and, and Big Green Scaly. How about that? Hey. <laughs> Live together in perfect harmony, eating hot dogs and, and roasting wieners. That's you and me, buddy. I'll put the rocks around a grill. You start the fire, of course. Hey, have you ever been to, to Skull Island? That's where King Kong's from. I hey. wondered if you ever visit his home. Maybe you'd have a deeper understanding of him. Hey, how do mirrors work? I think it's a parallel universe. Sometimes, hey, sometimes I try to push a sandwich through the mirror to give myself a treat on the other side. I just make a mess on the mirror, Godzilla. I end up licking pastrami off my mirror. <laughs> what are we doing? <laughs> okay. All right. Elvis says, look, man, I just got to get this bull interested in heifers. Even if I got to show it myself, you heard me right. I'll fuck these cows if I got to. Grandpa Light Cloud says, mm, can I watch? Yeah. Grandpa coming out as a real voyeur watched Annie in the earlier scene now, now wants to watch Elvis fuck these cows, which in fairness, I kind of do too. More interesting movie. Annie says, this bull is lazier than Grandpa Light Cloud. I'm not going to wait for you morons. Bronk, go put one of the cows that the government gave us a day or two ago and I'm going to sell it and buy a toilet. Mary is coming here with her future mother-in-law and I will not have her use an outhouse. Right. And Elvis is like, wait, wait, wait. Hang on, man. We can't just go selling government cows all willy-nilly. Tell you what, don't sell the herd. I'm going to get the money for your pops, man. Before we go any further, <laughs> yeah. when did this fourth layer subplot show up that the nosy mother-in-law is coming to visit and they don't want to look poor? Right now. That, Chad, right? Did you miss it? Just I, now, when you said the thing, that's when it happened in the movie. It's like an episode of Bewitched or something. <laughs> right? This takes up a huge portion of our movie. A good 10 to 12 minutes of this film is this meddling mother-in-law hijinks that go down. I didn't even know that Mary was marrying Lorne until this scene also. I, I think they made that up right now, too. Burgess Meredith, who is against indoor plumbing, is like, hey, why? 
Why doesn't she just shit before she comes? And and he is like, you can't ask people to do that. That's crazy. Is that how bodies work? Sometimes you just gotta shit. <laughs> Not me. 6.13 a.m. every day. I have bacon for breakfast, bacon for lunch, and I drink my dinner. And then I take a shit. Well, who are you? You expecting Zoe Deschanel? She's a monster. Elvis Joe says, hey man, I can get money for that new toilet. Uh, everybody be cool. So he takes his red Cadillac that I don't think he bought and he goes to some junk man to sell parts and he yeah. starts piecemealing it for cash that again, he promised would be used to buy a toilet so they don't have to sell a cow. But what happens is that Elvis Joe is driving back home to the shanty and on his way through the one street in this tiny little town, he sees three of the girls that were the ones who were dating his friends from that wrestling session earlier including billy joe hump he picks up these three girls they get in his car with him and i think that bronk is with him at this time and they just immediately go to the liquor store <laughs> and then just out into the desert where they drink and scamper around and elvis sings another song about how dominic the bull won't have sex with heifers as he's singing this song he's chasing the girls who are slowly disrobing and at the end he has sex with them no the punchline chad is that he falls asleep looking for him against the tree and then all the girls are like hee hee yeah they woke him up and they had sex i'm sure yeah well i mean it's elvis i you know hell in 1968 i would have fucked him if he'd have me our movie then provides us with yet another montage where we see elvis trying to explain to dominic the bull how he should be having sex with these heifers this montage is intermixed with burgess meredith light cloud wrapping their shanty shack with what appears to be stone brick wallpaper yeah i think that's right to make it look legit or something and then we also see one by one the cows are being sold and the money that they're getting for the cows they're buying new appliances like a tv and a refrigerator and a toilet gets delivered to the house right and also uh, alongside this more and more pieces are being stripped off elvis's cadillac and sold to this junk guy but he's not using any of this cash from selling the parts off of his car to help furnish their shanty house because every time he gets money we see elvis joe driving through town picking up another one of his buddy's girlfriends then making a beeline to the liquor store that's right he, he's again shiftless chad you give him a few bucks he's gonna drink and fuck it away he has sex with no less than five women in this movie at minimum this guy is patient zero for something this montage goes on forever it, yeah it's like a five minute montage the bull never has sex cows keep getting sold and then it gets down to the point to where elvis's cadillac is barely running it doesn't have uh, there's no cover for the engine or the trunk he's sitting on like a wicker chair there's no windshield the doors are gone i think it's supposed to be funny but it's not very funny and all of this culminates in yet another song where after all of this shit is sold off you know the cows are being sold off the cars being sold off it's all going to shit it's raining outside and elvis doesn't sleep inside on account of him being native american and so he's just getting rained on in his now skeleton of a car that doesn't even have an engine covered with a plastic tarp with the dogs like covered with a tarp with the dogs singing with the dogs surrounded by wet feral dogs a song titled all i need was the rain yeah bo this movie is 
completely bonkers. It's very racist, yes. This is one of the most inconceivably bizarre movies I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, and and like you talked about even in the uh, in the introduction, it says something that the movie kind of remains watchable, if offensive, because Elvis is just incredibly charismatic. And as he's singing with all these dogs and... You know, as the scenes winded down, he's just like, hey, man, move over. Hey, get your tail out of my mouth, man. Come on. Don't take all the blankets. Come on, Rufus. You know, that kind of stuff. It's like, man, he's Elvis. You're charming. Somehow Elvis gets his hands on a motorcycle because he needs transportation in the movie. And he sold the horse and the convertible has now been picked apart by the junk man vulture. Right. But he gets a motorcycle. So finally, it's the big day where Mary and her fiance, Lauren, are going to show up with Lauren's mother for a visit. And so Elvis Joe, he gets on his motorcycle and he takes off because, you know, Elvis isn't important to any of this sitcom plot about a mother-in-law visit. Wait, who's Mary again? Have I slept with her? She's my half-sister. Oh, okay. Well, I I will just put the tip in then. Elvis Joe, he drives by Callahan's roadside bar where Glenda is pumping gas in a customer's car, but she sees Elvis Joe, so she grabs her shotgun to go kill him. And Elvis Joe drives down the road a little bit, and he finds Mamie just hiding in the bushes with a suitcase because she's run away from home the way a disgruntled six-year-old would. And Mamie says to Elvis, Elvis Joe, me want to go with you. Me talk pretty someday. Me make you happy, Elvis Joe. And Elvis Joe says, well... Get on the back of my motorcycle. I done nailed all my friends, girls. You might as well be next. We cut away from this crime to, <laughs> to go to uh, Lorne showing up uh-huh. uh, with his mother, who doesn't, like, again, these are, like, as understanding as white people are going to be in a movie made at this time by these kinds of people. She is not looking down her nose at these people. She's not the stereotypical meddling mother-in-law. I, I don't remember the name of the actress who plays her, but she's very congenial she's very polite she sort of rolls with the punches she doesn't say anything that is a double entendre or give a glance that's like rather she's happy to be there up until people start shooting bullets through the house and she almost gets killed i would argue she is pleased because they have done their best to appear as white as possible in their home and demeanor and so that makes her feel more at ease Mm, okay i i still think it's all horrible but at any rate (laughs) They go inside, which now looks like this almost cabinet of Dr. Caligari sitcom set. Yeah. Where everything is slightly off in its angles. And there are dogs fucking everywhere just yipping and yapping. Yeah. Then Lauren steps out of the hole in the floor like the fucking money pit. Yeah. And this is like everything starts to come apart at the seams, right? Like they're, they're helping him up. He falls backwards. His arm goes through the wall and almost hits grandpa who's sitting outside. Let's just put a fine point on that his arm goes through a wall it's not an interior wall it's a wall to the outside world again grandpa on the porch it's like uh, he's trying to high five grandpa but grandpa puts a rock in his hand for some reason i don't know what's going on there Eh, just trading i think and I like that Burgess Meredith goes over to fix the hole in the floor by first putting just a small green rug over it, which is pretty awesome. But then he caps it off by piling up a few volumes of the encyclopedia to make sure nobody ever has that same accident happen again. Sure, because most people aren't as heavy as two encyclopedias. That's just science. So Annie is trying to keep everything on an even keel. So she offers tea to everybody. But then it turns out they didn't hook up working water to these 
pipes, they just got pipes because I, that's not how water works. Also, the bathroom doesn't have a roof. It's just the outhouse with wallpaper on the interior of it and kind of attached by cardboard or something, maybe. It's a mess, man. While they go to get water for the tea, they leave Burgess Meredith Lightcloud alone with Lauren and his mom. And he's just sitting over by himself, quietly muttering. He's like, and the silence gets to be too much for everyone in the room, including Burgess Meredith Lightcloud, who has the funniest line in the whole movie where he looks at Lauren and his mom and he goes, would any of you like to use the toilet? And then he just smiles uncomfortably and lauren laughs at, like it's a joke which it's the closest thing this movie has in fairness uh, his mom starts laughing as well then lauren like feeling things have kind of started to steady themselves again stands up and is like oh look at this shitty chandelier that you hung in the middle of the room isn't this nice and it just comes off in his hand it's a lot of physical comedy in this scene and it this scene goes on forever too outside annie is talking about how shitty everything is and how this is all disaster and mary is like no 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 lauren's mother does not need to be impressed she's one of the good ones like me mom <laughs> and then they hear her scream and they rush in to discover that she has been scared by grandpa who has wandered in uh-huh and it's just become a racist adams family at this point where it's just <laughs> like oh we, we tried to pretend to be normal for your date but now you know the jig is up and we're all creepy the mom is like you know every Everything's cool. I just want to ask, though, where is this Elvis Joe that I've heard so much about? Yeah, I heard Elvis Presley was in this movie. I would really be interested in meeting him. Why isn't he in the last 15 minutes of the movie? Well, he shows up with Mamie on the back of his bike, but he doesn't go inside. Immediately, he throws a blanket into the back of his shell of a car in preparation to have sex with this adult woman child. While Grandpa watches. With the feral dogs. Yes. I love that this character is just watching everybody in the movie fuck. That's how he gets off. I love it. This is the best $2 of entertainment that I've spent in a while. It's so <laughs> crazy. And so inside, T is going around. Grandpa has wandered inside. As they're talking about all the new appliances, Grandpa says, yeah, that fridge costs half a cow. Then a gunshot busts through a, a figurine on the mantle, in yeah. quotes, mantle. And Glenda has shown up uh, in this movie to shoot Joe. Yeah, this time with a pistol. Yeah, as the dogs once more hide under the porch because they know, hey, when the bullets start flying, the fighting in the bullets and all that, you go under the porch. Joe will find his way there eventually. Elvis Joe and Mamie just pop up in the Cadillac, get a couple of shots thrown their way, and they kind of hide behind them. Elvis Joe just goes, Mamie, uh, see you later. And then <laughs> runs. He runs into the shanty while Mamie screams out, Ma, Ma, don't shoot Joe. He's good. Joe likes to give me kisses. And then Glenda is just marching around, firing bullets wildly into this house, which keep in mind is full of one, two, three, four, five, six people. I, I don't know. Who knows how many dogs? And so Glenda then reloads her gun. That's premeditation, Bo. Elvis Joe escapes the house by just exploding through a wall that's made of tissue paper. Yeah, and gets to his bike. Uh, and for a minute it won't start, and then it does. And he get he starts to get away with Mamie running after him. 
Yep. Saying like, you forgot me, Joe. She's about to learn a real hard lesson here, Chad. (laughs) Where she gets to the pond and Joe sees her, stops, turns around, kisses her. And says, I gotta tell you, maybe we just weren't meant for each other, man. And then takes off. At which point, she just sits down in an oversized mud puddle and sploosh splashes around because she has the mental capabilities of a six-year-old child. But, oh, don't worry, ladies and gentlemen, she'll be back in our movie. We cut to Lauren and his mother saying goodbye. The mother actually says, she's like, it was a lovely day. I hope to see you again before I leave. And, you know, this future mother-in-law, she's very polite and she's pleasant. During all of that gunplay at one point she just goes stoically frozen right like she's incapable of moving because i think she knows that probably there's a better chance of her not getting shot if she stays still either that or she just shut down like she can't even process how crazy that this moment has become one minute ago i was here having a perfectly nice tea with my son's future in-laws and the next minute bullets are coming at me can you imagine going to visit anyone at their house and like you're visiting someone and then their son shows up and starts fucking somebody in the shell of a convertible and then an old lady shows up with a pistol and just starts blasting bullets into the house reloads and starts shooting the son runs in crashes through a wall the old lady comes in still shooting the gun he runs outside gets on his motorcycle and drives off that's a hell of a day in fairness chad you could have stopped after the son comes home and starts fucking somebody like everything after that is icing like if you're in somebody's home and their son rolls in and just starts fucking somebody <laughs> out on the front lawn or in the same house like you just see him come in go up the stairs and you hear the clear sounds of fucking how horrifying would that be you know even worse is if the grandfather stood there and watched i'll be back so Mary stays behind. She does not leave with her fiance because it's been a bit of a chaotic day. And then we cut to the next day at the bank and Mary's opening it up and Elvis Joe shows up and she invites Elvis Joe to come inside and she tells her brother, look, Joe, I finally know who I am. I wrote Lauren a letter. I broke off our marriage engagement relationship, whatever it is that we got going on here. And no amount of paint or fancy furniture will change who I am. I don't belong in his world. And I've got a grandfather who wants to scalp white men. That's dialogue from this movie. You know, she's got a real I should aim lower kind of vibe happening here. Elvis Show gets real high and mighty about it. And he's like, you know, when I get down, I don't just sit around and look at myself or something. He tries to storm out. This is actually my favorite joke of the movie is him trying to storm out and realizing that the doors are locked and he has to wait for her to come unlock the door so he can finish his dramatic exit. Eh, It's kind of a good (laughs) gag. So he leaves the bank and he runs into his buddy, Hike Bauer. The guy that they stole that bull from? And Hike says, hey, Elvis Joe, uh, don't you say hi to your friends anymore? And Elvis immediately punches this guy in the face. Yep, punches him in the face. Then these two just start beating the shit out of each other. Hike could not be happier that this was his greeting. Yeah, I mean, it was just as soon as he gets punched, he's like, just like the old days. And they start fighting like they had a fight club together back in the day, just cackling and whatnot. And then Elvis is like, hey, man, you sold me that bum cow. That was supposed to be a blue ribbon bull. And Hike is like, yeah, it is. That thing hadn't helped me start no herd at all. Oh, you want to start a herd with it? No, not that bull. That's the wrong bull for that. That bull is the best bucking bull in the world or whatever. Hey, maybe that bull won't fuck them cows, but 
it does give me another grifter idea. I didn't understand how a bull that you can't ride at a rodeo doesn't want to have sex with other cows. I clearly did not pay attention to any of the 4-H classes that we were forced to sit through. And it, well, you know what? If they had had one about bull fucking, I would have perked right up. So I think that's on 4-H. I didn't understand the logic of what was going on. Here. My take on it was, I mean, it's a different time, right? So uh, the bull is gay. Uh, he can't mm. be out about it. And that leads to a lot of rage. He's very angry, but also has no interest in the heifer. So that was my read of the character. I'm not sure if that's what was on paper, but that's uh, in the <laughs> what's in the essay I turned in to uh, the, yeah. my Phoenix Online class. Was your essay titled, I Can't Quit Moo? It was just called cow fucking it's look it's university of phoenix like we're not i I, i'm top of the class with cow fucking elvis realizing that he's got a grift that he can go pull he takes the bull down to a rodeo that luckily happens to be going on that same day and elvis joe shows up and he's got dominic the bull that's like sleeping in the back of this trailer and he says hey man i'll bet there's nobody here that can ride this bull for eight seconds and i'll tell you what for some reason i don't know why i would say this but i know i'm a rodeo champ (laughs) Um, I'm going to give two to one odds that I can ride this bull, which they're like, wait a minute. What? The bull is sleepy and you're saying we're going to bet money that we can't ride it, but we think we can. But then you want two to one odds that you can ride it, but it's sleepy. Your logic here is contradictory in nature, Elvis Joe. It's an unnecessary layer to this bet. You can't ride it. That's it. And then at the end, they should be all pissed off. Like they get him in the corner. Like we're going to, we're going to beat your ass. And they're like, nobody can ride that bull. And he's like, I'll tell you what, fellows, I'll ride that bull or you can get your money back. And then he rides already a better movie. That is so much cleaner that did they just not have the footage of Phil or like the, the yardage to be like, Hey, just right. Anyway, so this crazy plan is enacted before he can get to execute said plan he's confronted by a bunch of the dudes that he's cucked through the movie he's been ladies manning them (laughs) and he's like sorry boys i gotta go and they're like hey listen up elvis joe we're gonna be waiting for you at the main gate and he's like, all right, man, I'll see you there, I guess. Then Glinda shows up with Mamie and a shotgun demanding that Elvis Joe marry her daughter now. Dressed up in similar outfits like the fucking Shining Twins. That's weird that they're dressed up, but maybe that's just their Sunday best. There's going to be a wedding. You got to, you know, you got to put on your finest. She's the maid of honor, I guess. Anyway. Essentially, all of our B and C plots are coming together at the same time. Except it doesn't really wrap up here. It it has more endings than fucking Return of the King. Glenda tells Elvis Joe that Mamie's getting married. And he's like, oh, that's great. Uh, who, Who should get married to? And then she says, well, to you. And he's like, oh, I really should have seen that coming. Yeah, I'll tell you what, we'll talk about this more as soon as this rodeo is over. I've got a very complicated bet going on. Long story short, nobody can ride Dominic the bull. And then Elvis Joe can ride the bull. So they make a whole bunch of money from these hayseeds. Right. The thugs peel away from the crowd after the big event to wait for Joe. Turns out they're waiting like right across from Glinda and her gun bronco's truck is stopped like everybody stops him as he's coming through with the big truck that has the bull on it and he's like hey why are you stopping me i gotta get this bull back there's only one thing in the back of this truck and that's a bull there's definitely not an elvis and joe back there hey let me ask you a question what's with the pink outfit do you have to order that special that doesn't seem like something you'd find on the rack hey i never or i never wore anything that was custom made 
Everything I bought, I bought from Kmart. That's the last time I purchased clothing. It's straight off the rack. I've tried to have it tailored, but the problem is my body is very strangely shaped. The top of my torso looks like a trout, whereas my hips kind of look like an A-frame house turned upside down. Kmart just got me right. Also, I think their off-brand Garfield comic shirts are quite a stitch. Last year, hey, hey. Hey, last year I bought my mother an oversized sleep shirt with Tweety Bird on it. And it said, I've got Tweetitude. She loved it from Kmart. And it fit her quite right. She's shaped like a grimace. It captured her perfectly. She does have Tweetitude. Even before I saw the shirt, I would have told you that. So he drives out of this place with... Uh, Dominic the Bull and Elvis Joe in the back no one, of the truck. No one bothers to look. That's the moral of the story. Everyone is just like, is he in the truck? Brago says no. Okay, why would you lie to us? Back at the Light Cloud Estate, Burgess Meredith is there, and he's trying to repair all of the bullet holes in the windows of their house with plastic sheets. I think it's like blue saran wrap. And then Lauren shows up, and he wants to talk to Mary, but she doesn't want to talk to him, and she locks herself in her bedroom. A lot of unwed women locking themselves in their bedrooms in this movie. Then the congressman shows up wanting an update on how the heifers and the bull are doing when it comes to having sex and cow babies remember Bo, they sold all those cows the congressman actually says hey there have been rumors that some of the cows that we gave you are showing up at stockyards burgess meredith light cloud says to this question yeah he gibbers like an idiot yeah they ask him did you sell them and he's just like uh-huh 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 and the congressman is like well it's gonna be really hard to explain that in washington his partner mr slager says burgess meredith light cloud you're gonna go to jail selling government property for your own personal gain is a crime against the united states of america you're a disgrace to the indian And then he gets interrupted because over the hillside come about a hundred cows. Led by Bronk. Hey, stop, stop that racial slur. One second. Pump the brakes. We're going to prove you wrong. Look, we're not just illegally selling government property for our own gain. We're over here pulling off a con and ripping off other white hayseeds for our own profit and benefit. And we bought these cows. We're going to sell them and, and buy about a thousand toilets and open up a plumbing supply store. Go ahead and open up some beers. I want a fresh one when I get there. Just pour it in my mouth. That's how I, I, I drink Bronco style. I'll tell you all about this scam. It's quite a story. It involved a very complicated bet and a bull that we had to buy after we cooked yours. It's quite a journey. Hey, I killed a bull and I slaughtered him. And you know the craziest thing is? I don't remember doing any of that. People told me about it. Have Hey, have you ever killed a large mammal and cooked it and eaten it without being fully conscious? I have. You can't wash the smell of beef out of your hair. I've tried. Look at my fingernails. This is blood and fur from an animal whose life apparently I strangled by putting my arms and legs around its neck and saying the Lord's Prayer over and over again. Turns out a cinder block won't work. I tried. Nor does a golf club. By the way, if you all need to use the toilet at the Cisco, I've got the only key. I buried it with the remains of the cow. I'll draw you a map. It's just over there under that big pile. The one that's got all the vultures around it. I hope they didn't eat that key, because I've got to take a wicked day Chanel. Spoiler alert, it's under the rusty bike. 
So the congressman then says, Burgess Meredith Lightcloud, it looks like you're the biggest cattleman in the 23rd <laughs> district. And with the news of this success, I'll soon be governor of Arizona for some <laughs> reason. I hate to, you know, pick nits at this point of the movie, but a crime has still been committed just because he has some cows doesn't mean they're the ones that you gave him the fact that they were able to pull off the scam is the only reason they're cows at all right much less the ones that they started with and if every person that they give cows to in, in this program moving forward this is still not a good result maybe best case scenario they bought back all the cows that they sold because they were being sold at the rodeo or the auction let's go with that i still contend that the crime was committed as soon as the cows were eaten and or sold and that somebody <laughs> needs to handle answer for this so inside the dilapidated house lauren is still screaming at mary to come out and talk to him and he actually says mary we can work it out think of all the other couples that did it john smith and pocahontas oh yeah that didn't go over too well with mary no well or anyone and <laughs> outside the dog start yapping and jumping around apparently nobody's got a gun and then a uh, blue studebaker shows up speaking of guns and it's glinda callahan her simpleton daughter mamie a judge as well as a shotgun and glinda jumps out and points the gun at elvis joe and says you're gonna marry my simpleton daughter or i'm gonna murder you and so elvis joe says hey look glinda all me and mamie did was kiss wait a minute and then the judge just starts the wedding ceremony out in the front yard of dirt and then lauren's still inside screaming at mary to come out of her room outside the judge says do you take her to be your wife and do you take him to be your husband and before they can answer those questions another truck is pulled up full of elvis joe's wrestling buddies all the ones whose girlfriends he fucked throughout the movie they pull up and elvis joe tells the judge look man i gotta go elvis joe runs off but not before his friends pile out and Bo, we get a five on one fist fight with no background music and a flurry of slide whistles kettle drum thumps and other comical foley artist sound effects it is utter mayhem and nonsense bronco eventually gets in on the action and they're punching guys at the same time and getting punched together and they're flipping through windows and grandpa's hitting people on the head with sticks yeah i mean again 30 percent of this movie is just people fighting and wrestling <laughs> and and here we are at the end it's a large part of it's, it yeah it's crazy man i at first when we started this conversation i thought that percentage sounded high uh -uh. and now i think it might be a little low i think it might be a full 50 percent of the movie is fighting and wrestling the judge wises up looks over at glenda and says look i can't force a man to get married to a girl just for kissing then glenda looks at her daughter and says mamie is that really what happened just between you two you just kissed yes mama we just kissed so then our five-on-one slide whistle fist fight makes its way to the top of this judge's blue studebake where there are five men in a big ball just beating the shit out of each other left and right the car's getting all dented in and inside the car the judge looks terrified and glinda is now proceeding to whisper in her daughter's ear explaining to her how babies are made and what sex is and mamie sits beside her aged mother giggling uncontrollably right she seems to like a lot of what she's hearing and i think she suspected as much because of what happened with Elvis Joe. 
it, it seems to me she was on the trail. One of my favorite things about this is as the fight goes back into the house at this point, there's a point where Elvis is thrown past Lorne through the wall and into Mary's room. Right. But because of the fight that she's having with Lorne, she immediately grabs a chair and smacks it over Elvis Joe's head. This is truly my favorite line of the movie where she's like oh my god i'm sorry i hit you with the chair and he goes that's all right kind of clears ahead again i thought that was a funny joke and it's well delivered at one point one of the five assailants beating up elvis tells bronk that elvis fucked his girlfriend too so now it's six on one they're all just beating the shit out of each other eventually lorne gets his way into mary's locked bedroom he picks her up throws over his shoulder drags her out of the house against her will again physical assault including a white man carrying off a native american woman as she screams stop 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 these six angry fellas end up chasing after elvis joe and continue beating him up but then eventually elvis joe who is the star of our movie he summons up some strength and beats them up one by one like popeye with a lot of cuckoo bird sound effects and other distracting noises none of which is music it's very eerie how this whole fight scene is a lot of boonk unk Boing, boing. As the, they're fighting, the house is coming down around them. They hit the one support beam, or maybe that tree that's in the house, and the whole thing collapses. Like there's a huge pile of trash up in this attic. It looks like some sort of hoarder collection of garbage just comes crashing down, and then it's just a pile of shit and metal. So Lauren and Mary kiss as the house collapses, and then they look over at this utter wreckage, and Joe pops pops up and says hi man that's what i call one hell of a fight and grandpa and annie and burgess meredith light cloud are standing on the front lawn excuse me the front dirt and it's like they're all on nitrous and they just start giggling uncontrollably as they stare at this pile of trash house well they're all drunk chad and then the camera which is attached to a helicopter and we now see all 100 of these cows being herded into a pen again that is suitable for maybe three cows yeah and the movie says the end not a minute too soon i can't recommend this movie enough this movie is it's indescribable you've really got to see it to experience it it's the most racist thing i've ever well birth of a nation is the most racist movie i've ever seen it's a curiosity i mean that's for sure Uh, like i said the fact that you can still get this movie is kind of crazy this feels like one of those movies that they're like oh no no we can't we can't let people watch this this is terrible and yes you can see it for two dollars here's the thing i learned about myself though is that one i can be made incredibly uncomfortable even when i'm alone okay watching this movie got me there where i just want to crawl out of my own skin the other thing is that i would i think i would like to see sort of what is considered like the best elvis movie or maybe a couple of movies Mm -hmm. that i think that he is enough of a screen presence and i like i would like to see him in his best comedy and i and and see what something like that looks like you know those early movies that he made jailhouse rock and king creole where he was really focusing more on 
a dramatic movie career he's passable in that he's like a lot of stars of that era but he was good like i said in the intro it just came to a point to where you can crank out shit and get paid the same amount of money as it's going to take for you to do quality work and plus the film landscape was really changing at the time as well uh, as far as what movies were competing with his latter films in the mid to late 1960s yeah i mean well it's that once upon a time in hollywood era where you have the fading westerns and stuff like that and the rise of like polanski and like people who were changing what movies were when this movie came out in theaters it was the same year that 2001 came out right yes it was the same year that planet of the apes came out there were movies that were much more sophisticated in the stories that they were telling they certainly required much bigger budgets and again you were going going to see an elvis movie because you were going to see an elvis movie you knew what you were getting into maybe not maybe you didn't know you were going to see so much overt racism but i don't know what to tell you i, I looked at that movie poster <laughs> i think you knew it's it's a real something that the, the thing that is both perhaps something you can kind of forgive the movie for because it's such a product of its time but it's also the movie's biggest flaw is the fact that it has no no self-awareness at all of the fact that it's offensive the good thing is that we live in a world today where there isn't this level of overt racism that is incapable of acknowledging how horribly offensive it is and with this movie as you said it is shockingly still available for people to rent and watch however Bo, there is a movie that is not available for people to rent or watch which is going to be the subject of episode two of this season. We're talking about one of the greatest movies of all time, featuring one of the greatest rock bands of all time. And I'm not talking about the Beatles in A Hard Day's Night. I'm not talking about the Monkees in the movie Head. I'm talking about the band Kiss in their made-for-TV musical fantasy science fiction comedy drama film Kiss meets The Phantom of the Park from the year 1978. In this movie, each of the members of the band kiss have superpowers and they do battle with an evil animatronic inventor and they are trying to save an amusement park in california it, it's a nightmare of a film it's all the the production value of say your six million dollar men it was produced by hannah barbera yeah that feels right love them or hate them kiss is a band that will do anything for a buck as did Elvis. But I think Elvis at least tried to hide it under a layer of like artistic integrity that Kiss has never pretended to. They have always been schlock. They know they're schlock. In both episode one and episode two, we are going to have our primary musical performers wearing a lot of face makeup. And robot doubles. <laughs> oh, did we not talk about it? We, we skipped right over the robot double in this movie. It was uh, This movie's all over the place. So that's episode one of season 15 A Flop is Born. As always, like, rate, review. Send us an email, picksixmovies at gmail.com. Bo, it's time for that question. Any final thoughts on Stay Away, Joe? Yeah, I, I mean, how can you bleach your brain? Well, I think you just need to put some ultraviolet light inside the body, and then that's really is what oh. cleanses it. Because I've heard that sunlight is the best disinfectant. Which hole does it go in? And bend over and I'll show you. Or not. <laughs> Stay away, Chad. I just can't quit you. Stay away, Bo. We'll see you in two weeks, everybody.